Hey everybody in Serial Killer Country, my name is Brittany Ransom. My name is Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week, Brian and I find a true crime story that resonated with us. Then I discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer, go deep into their childhood, ideology, lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. And then we'll get a little spooky, we'll learn something about cryptids or the supernatural, and... <laughs> yeah. I'm back! <laughs> And just before we start, just want to let you know, our Patreon is live. This is our second month now, and we are actually, I think, putting up the sixth episode of Conspiracy Crypt, which you get at every tier. Uh, there is loads of fun stuff. I have started streaming on my own Twitch, uh, which is where you can play. And then Brian will also play via his Twitch. We can play games together yes. through Patreon. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash whenkillersgetcaught, and you can buy merch on our website at www.whenkillersgetcaught.com. And this week in true crime, so... <laughs> what you got? Um, what I got is that Scott Peterson's sister-in-law says that there is new evidence proving he is innocent. Now, do you remember Scott Peterson? I remember the name. <laughs> So Scott Peterson is from, what is it? He's currently in Quentin State Prison uh, for the murder of his pregnant wife, Lacey Peterson. And also, uh, well, the he also got uh, charged with killing their son, their unborn oh, son, yeah. Connor, okay. uh, in Modesto, California. That's starting to, Okay. Pieces are coming together. That happened now. in a 2004 esque. Well, the he got charged. He got convicted in 2004. The actual murder happened in 2002. Mm -hmm. um, he has always said that he never did anything. He had no connection to what happened to Lacey. Obviously, nobody believed him because mm -hmm. he's in prison. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Scott Peterson's sister in law. So. Lacey's, Lacey's sister. sister is say like saying she's got this explosive proof that uh and like she literally just went to court to give this information mm -hmm. like two weeks ago right before I, I went on vacation so her name's Janie uh she's 53 oh actually no wrong sibling so this is Scott Peterson's brother's wife oh okay not lacy's sister i was about to say okay, well if I was it like, was, that wouldn't have made sense if i mean if it was her sister would have like proven something i get i don't know anyway well regardless so um he's currently serving a life sentence mm. uh so what Janie says is that there is evidence that was completely ignored that showed Lacey was alive after he left for work that day um with the prevailing thought being that he had already killed her when he left to go to work and then he came home and was like, Oh no, my wife. Right. 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 You know, um, a, a neighbor testified seeing the couple's golden retriever inside the Peterson gated yard at 10, 15 AM on the day that Lacey disappeared, which was Christmas Eve, 2002. Uh, Janie Peterson said that when the mailman arrived around 10 30 AM, he said the dog wasn't there, which was something that was never mentioned in court. Hmm. She believes that this is proof that Lacey was out walking the dog after uh, Scott went to work. Right. Right. 
So that is what she thinks is what's going to overturn this case. Oh, my God. The dog. Maybe the dog will help him. Her theory is that Lacey had to have maybe had a confrontation uh, with maybe the men who were robbing the house. Because like, the, in the area at the time, the houses were getting cased and robbed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Happens in nice neighborhoods every once in a while. Um, that theory was part of Peterson's like defense. Mm-hmm. But it was rejected by the court. Um they actually ended up finding the burglars who also denied any involvement. They're like, we never even saw this lady. All we do is just rob houses and dip. <laughs> like, <laughs> all, we do is, all we do is steal. I steal. I don't kill. Right. So Janie is like, listen, obviously these criminals killed Lacey and they framed my brother-in-law by disposing of her body 90 miles away in an area where Peterson just happened to be fishing at the same time. <laughs> wait what yeah i gotta read this case now God yes her body was found 90 miles away from her home in an area where scott liked to go fishing an area he was familiar with <laughs> another reason why nobody believed him like of all the places for her body to be dumped Bruh. the specific area where you go fishing why would you do that <laughs> just stupid so i just think that's really funny that she said that oh, like he God. no um, the dog is the key okay that's what yeah. she's saying. But they are going to attempt, I think, to push for like another appeal or something with this new evidence. Um, the other f- factor in the Peterson case, if you don't remember it, because this was when we were in like high school, mm-hmm. um, that he was having an affair with a massage therapist. Mm. Okay. Who said that she had no idea that he was married and he like had told her that he was a widower and that his wife had died. Oh. And so they definitely took that as like, oh, that was him planning. Yeah, absolutely. That's just that she was gonna die. Dude, I don't I don't know, man. You kind of like kind of shot yourself in the foot there. Uh, Janie says that she doesn't believe that simply being an adulterer is a motive for murder. She says, I don't think you can take that leap from just being a cheater to a killer. Um, um, but apparently, um, yeah, that's uh, something that happened. As, as Chris Watts. Right. Uh, also ask the serial killer who I'm going to talk about today. Oh my fucking God. (laughs) Um, there's a, well, correction. The people who died were adulterers, but I mean, listen, Mm. you can get mad at your spouse for cheating on you and kill them. What's the difference? I mean, mean, yeah. Well, she's like, I've known Scott since he was 13 years old. There's no way I, he's a murderer. People really like, they don't believe that people they know can do horrible things. But they can. Everybody is Everybody capable. Can. Everybody's capable of doing this stupid shit. I'm just like, uh, well, that that was my uh, case that I saw that I thought was funny. This is hilarious. I just, you know, want to hear something else funny? Sure, let's go for it. <laughs> okay, this is another Georgia story. I don't know why Georgia is in the news now. It's more, it's more Georgia than. Uh, I'll tell you this. I've been telling people about Lake Lanier, mm. and everyone is shocked. <laughs> I've also been telling people about the Devil's Punch Bowl in Mississippi. Um, it's a lot of wait. I mean, but a lot horrible of, things that happen to black people down south. Yeah, a lot of dams, I guess, or, or man-made dams, are mm-hmm. or, or made or actually made that way by drowning cities, of course. But I don't think I've heard of a lot that were like 
you you drowned like a black like a whole black community. Well, at first they cities. burned everybody out. Like yeah, they of course. Yeah, set people's houses and churches and buildings on fire. But like, it, it still freaks me out. Like every once in a while, like I look up like Lake Lanier. Mm. Just watch TikTok. Look on TikTok. I look at videos of people scuba diving. It's crazy. And they they they're scuba diving over se- uh, underwater cemetery. Yeah. So creepy. So it's listen, terrible. I stuff stuff happening down there. But well, what else happened in Georgia? Fam? <laughs> well, this story. Um, so you went to the beach this weekend, right? I or did. Past, I did. Last, last weekend? yeah, last week. Okay. Um, so you didn't you didn't have the urge to bring along a toy with you, did you? What what kind of toy? <laughs> the adult toy. Oh no! <laughs> I was there with my friends who i have no uh connection to in that way okay great um well this woman in georgia she decided to bring along her toy to the beach like in front of people um was it that awful rose that everybody keeps talking about i don't know probably i can't go i can't get like halfway down my facebook feed without somebody talking about that stupid rose you're ruining our lives (laughs) no No, not I don't know what this the hell is it was. just like it's just like what happened with uh Sex in the City in like the late nineties, early two thousands with the rabbit. Mm. Everybody like oh, found everybody. out about this thing and they yeah. had to buy it and everyone's like, What's the big deal? But anyway, tell me about this lady who decided to get herself arrested for probably um yeah, she pleasuring did. herself in public. She definitely did. Um she was caught masturbating on a local beach. Um why would you ever do that? Well, sand, fam. Yeah, I don't know. Sand. Maybe she was on a towel or something, but still, I don't think. I am still finding sand. Never mind. In this <laughs> everywhere. Like, at one point, I just had like a towel and I was on the like beach just laying down the towel. Mm-hmm. And there's sand everywhere. You can't get away from, it. even if you're on the big towel, it's still all over you. Like, at one point, we had to call, like, the hotel people because we had gone to the beach in the morning and they had cleaned the room. And we, like, we came back and, like, took showers and stuff. Um, And, like, there's just so much sand in the shower everywhere. And, like, I had to call people and be like, I know the lady just came up here. I feel so bad. But there's literally piles of sand in the bathroom and in the shower. And the people there were like, it's okay. We'll come help. Yeah. Um, we gave her extra tip. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yeah. So I can't imagine wanting to do anything down there with the, the coarse sand yeah. near your uh, delicate parts. Near your areas, yes. But um, Miss Christina um, Rivels Glick, um, she she decided that she wanted to go and have fun on the beach okay. and fun in a different way. Um, so. She took her, you know, took a towel and covered herself up. Okay, so no one she could... wasn't like, you know, bop. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and a passerby, a passerby heard her moaning. Okay, so she couldn't be quiet. No, she could not be quiet. So I heard her moaning, and then um, they took their camera, they took their phone out, and they started video recording no! her. <laughs> They recorded her. Her name was Sarah Moss. Um, I'm gonna say Sarah. I, I mean, you could have just kept that to yourself. <laughs> she posted it, didn't she? I don't know if she posted. It. I know she called the cops though. Okay. 
Um, I don't want to see. No, she she told the police. Uh, but yeah, she told the police <laughs> that she that Miss Glick was pleasuring herself on the beach, and she, she like five minutes before they got there. So someone called the cops, and they got there like five minutes later. Um, so Miss Glick, she finishes, and <laughs> she. <laughs> She finishes what she's doing. She looks around. No one's watching. She goes to this restaurant. Someone calls the cops. Cops come. I was going to say, I can't think of anything that would ruin my mental boner more <laughs> than seeing a police officer walk up while no, you're no, doing that. No, she was So done. she was finished before the cops yes, got yes, there. Because yes, in my yes, head, yes. I was like, bruh, it'd be over. As soon as I see the police, the uniform, I'm like, like, oh, yup. <laughs> <laughs> so so she clears she goes to clean herself up yeah she goes to the restaurant um you, you know to go eat i guess because after you you know you're done you you're hungry so <laughs> hope she washed her hands so do i so miss uh, sarah moss she gave the video that she took of miss glick to the cops right and you know which showed her doing all her stuff oh she was going to town <laughs> she she's like okay so the cops when the cops went to question her about this she was like well i didn't think anybody noticed because i i had um finished in about 20 seconds so it took 20 seconds for me to finish so i didn't think anybody would notice by then so <laughs> um but the, <laughs> the look on your face yes i gotta help you I'm just like, but yeah, she like she. My thing it. is like you. You had to go prepared. Yeah, like you were gun. You you came prepared to do that. Exactly. She had her uh, her vibrator in her backpack. That's what so. I'm saying. Like I went to the beach and did not bring any of those things with me. Like, uh, okay. She was a. Uh, she's she's 34 years old. Just in. Maybe she's just got like a, a ocean fetish. Maybe the water, the Maybe sound, the, the waves crashing, the smell, the seagulls, and <laughs> whatever is just does something for her. So she had, you know, maybe, maybe. maybe. <laughs> well, what oh, did she get like in trouble? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, public indecency, all indecent that exposure. Okay, but yeah, unfortunately, that's well. Uh, there you go. When Killers Get Caught is sponsored by the Magic Class Boutique. Now, why does that name sound so familiar? Well, it's because it's a business ran by our very own Brittany. That's right. The Magic Class Boutique is not only a black-owned business, it's a woman-owned as well. This is a jewelry company that makes some pretty awesome earrings, ranging from cute little sushis to spooky mermaid skeletons. There are even adorable self-defense keychains for those just-in-case moments. And introducing the Serial Collection. This set of earrings is based off of Serial Killers and the official merch for the podcast. This collection features everything a serial killer would need to pull off their crimes, from hunting knives at the beginning of their crimes to warden keys for when they eventually get caught. Check out themagicclasp.com today where you can use our promo code CAUGHT 
to receive 15% off of your online order. That's T-H-E-M-A-G-I-C-C-L-A-S-P dot com and use promo code CULT for 15% off and make sure you tell Brittany that I sent you. Well, now, now the fun times are gone. It doesn't going to be that bad. Okay, we'll see. So, when you do true crime, one thing I get asked over and over again, who's your favorite killer? Mm. Which is an easy question to ask, but a weird question to answer, because I don't like any of the people we really discuss. Um, I'm super perplexed by some of them, and I feel compelled to learn more because I don't understand their motives or what distinguishes them from like everybody else. So this week, uh, the killer that I'm going to talk about, she's referred to as the giggling granny. Because after she was caught, every time she was interviewed or even at her sentencing, she found the whole thing hilarious. Which is pretty macabre. Because she ultimately, she admitted to killing several spouses, one of her own grandchildren, and her own mother. Um, but she is suspected of murdering 11 people, including her two of her own children i always wrote her off initially as one of the women who kills for financial gain mm-hmm. but i wanted to look into her past to see if there was something more to one of the most infamous women serial killers so i'll say i do i do know her oh yeah I i'm know, sure I... you know a little bit about her <laughs> so nanny doss was born nancy hazel November 4th, 1905, in Blue Mountain, Alabama, which is now known as Anniston, Alabama, uh, to Louisa and James Hazel. She was one of five children. She had a brother, William, and three sisters, but I could only find the name of one of them named Dovey. They lived on a farm that James inherited from his parents, which came with a lot of debt that his parents accrued by borrowing against future crops that never came. Uh, when James met Louisa, he only had enough money to live off of for a few years and some dairy cows. Louisa came already pregnant, unmarried, and worried she wouldn't find a man because she was considered to be ruined by this point. Mm. She'd been kicked out of her home after her dad had nearly killed her when he found out that she was pregnant. Her mom managed to save her life, but couldn't save her from being homeless. But uh, Lou, as she liked to be called, Louisa Lou, was resilient, and she managed to survive. She gave birth to Nancy. Nancy. Her family were very like, you're never going to find a man. But literally the week after Nancy was born, she had a proposal. Oh, look at. From James Hazel. See? Look at y'all. And she accepted because he had land, and land had value. Especially back, I mean, it still does, but yeah. especially back then. They got married in December of 1905. The town was shocked, but James adopted Nancy and gave her his last name. Soon, everybody forgot that she wasn't his child. Unfortunately, Lou's desperation meant she hadn't really picked a great man. Lou had reached a really intense low point in the last couple months of her pregnancy. She'd been alone for so long that the very small gestures from James felt like grand overtures mm. and once they got married and people in the community stopped treating her like she was a pariah she realized that all of those small gestures from james that was the best he could do that he could only do bare minimum yep it sounds familiar god damn <laughs> not only that but 
James was a downer of a guy who was always miserable and he got really mean with everybody when he was even a little bit stressed. As soon as Lou moved her and Nancy into the farmhouse, he started treating Lou like she was one of the farmhands. He didn't have any other farmhands. It was just him trying to run this farm by himself. Oh. And so when Lou wasn't fast enough or obedient to his liking, he would yell at her. He would hit her with the same cane that he used to, like, wrangle the cattle. That's your wife. The two worked all day into the night, clearing the field, planting crops, milking cows. Like, a farm is too much work for only two people. Mm -hmm. But James was going to do it, and he was going to do it without taking any charity from anyone. And Lou was going to help him. Nancy was pretty much ignored for the first, like, two years of her life in the household there. Her father only acknowledged her when she got in his way, and he'd yell at her like he screamed at Lou. Mm. As soon as she could work in the fields, he wanted her to join the family business. She couldn't do much. Like, a two-year-old can't carry much. Right. But he would give her little tasks um, to carry something from here to there. And if she didn't do the task to his liking, he... Same punishments as Lou. He would hit her. He would yell at her. I mean, this is a toddler. I was about to say, two-year-old. What do you expect him to do? (laughs) Well, then James then very methodically began planning to make his family bigger. He made sure to only get Lou pregnant so that she would still be able to work when it was time to harvest. (laughs) And back-to-back, like, year after year, five kids in a row. Uh, as Nanny was the oldest, she became the person who was inside the house making the meals, changing the diapers, settling the little kid arguments, making the bottles in the middle of the night. By the time she's five, when other kids are getting to go to kindergarten, Nanny's at home with a house full of children all oh. under the age of four. And after she like got the kids foods re- like food ready mm-hmm. <clears throat> and settled them down... She would still be required to then go in and help with, like, pulling the debris. So, like, if a storm happened, there were, you know, tree branches and things because the south gets a lot of storms. Yeah. She'd be required to go outside, pick up all the wood, clear the, you know, clear the brush. She's already being a freaking nanny. Mm Mm-hmm. Despite all this work, though, the farm was never really profitable. James wasn't in debt, but he was just getting by. Uh Nanny was actually only allowed to go to school during winter, and school was a two-mile hike. So since she was rarely there, she was always behind the other students. And even when she would try and catch up, it's spring now. Mm -hmm. Now she has to leave and go because it's planting season. The other kids definitely picked on her and her siblings because they were poor, and they were also all very quiet because they grew up around James, who yelled at them whenever they were an inconvenience. Right. Eventually, as her siblings got older and could help around the house, that did lighten the load. They were also all required to work in the fields. Uh, And she was allowed to go to school, but she never formally went to school past roughly elementary. Mm -hmm. Instead, she started reading. And like many kids who grew up unhappy, she found her escape through books. I... And when I wrote this line, I knew you were going to feel it because I felt it too. (laughs) Books are an escape for kids they who really are, are struggling with life. <laughs> it's just the truth. In the spring of 1912, the family took a trip down to South Alabama to visit James' family. 
There was a pretty bad storm in the area and everybody got onto like a train carriage. They were wet, but, you know, happy. The younger kids were all goofing off. Nanny was reading a book. The storm knocked down a tree onto the train tracks. And when the conductor hit the brakes, everyone in the train flew out of their seats. Oh. Nanny had been sitting across from a metal bar. Oh, there you go. The head injury. Yep. <laughs> uh, she was knocked unconscious for an entire day. When she woke up, she was on a couch in her uncle's house in southern Alabama. Uh, she suffered a severe concussion that caused long-term brain damage at seven years old. Goodness. For the rest of her life, she reported onset headaches, and her personality shifted. She was a pretty happy child despite the abuse, mm -hmm. but she started having very severe bouts of depression that her family just called nanny's dark moods Aww. and she also started having these uncontrollable rages <laughs> that will matter later on but okay her dad however didn't think <clears throat> that his kid being unconscious for 24 hours meant she needed a break or anything and as soon as they went back home after vacation he put her back to work over the next year she'd have these horrible headaches blackouts like he said it was more common for her to be seen crying than not crying. Oh, wow. Uh, it's terrible. James wouldn't let Lou take her to the hospital. He was just like, we don't have the money and we need everybody to be working. And even though Nanny was slower due to her injury, mm -hmm. she was still working. So he needed her. This was kind of the point when people in the family began to notice that James treated Nanny differently than the biological children. He was hard on everybody, but he was harder on Nanny. And after this injury is when she started hating him. And Lou actually actively hated him, too. Uh, <laughs> it was interesting because up until this point, you know, you're seven, eight years old. You're, you have a certain fear of your parents. Mm -hmm. Nanny kind of lost that fear. Because she was in constant pain. And she's just like, what you, you can't hurt me more than I'm already hurt. She's just like, what you going to do? Problem was, he still had all the power in the Hazel household. But this is the moment when, like, it's unfortunate because usually you're much, much older when you realize that your parents are human and mm. they are flawed. But she realized that when she was seven years old. Changes your entire perspective of how you feel about that parent. And it was pretty devastating to realize that she wasn't important to James at all. Poor kid. She started obsessing over her mom's romance books. In those books, she saw love, which she considered what was lacking in her life. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the way that things were supposed to be when people fell in love. And for the next eight years, she dreams of romance and finding the love of her life and James is obsessed with making sure his daughter stay pure. Even though both Lou and Nanny were very gifted in making clothes, mm -hmm. James forbid all of the girls from wearing anything that he thought might look good on them. It had to be completely shapeless. Um, once when <laughs> Nanny was oh a preteen, he caught her trying to do her hair like a woman in a magazine and he caned her. For her hair? Yes. Just her. Come on. Her hair is just hair. 
As the girls became teenagers, they weren't allowed to go to town without an escort from their brother or dad. They weren't allowed to go to any fairs. And, like, fair culture down south is the best part of being down there. (laughs) Getting to go to the county fair, couldn't go to that. And Damn, missed out on that. Couldn't go to any barn dances. Oh, damn. And Lou didn't really have a leg leg to stand on because she kind of knew what could happen if you got pregnant before marriage and how terrible it was. She was just like, if they don't get pregnant, they won't condemn themselves to a life of misery like I did. And so even when she tried to talk to her husband and be like, maybe you could be a little strict with the girls, James would be like, remember how awful things were for you before you met me? And Hmm. she really couldn't argue with him. Yeah, I know, but come on, they're they're still children. Let them have a little bit of fun now. Well, the worst part about this is that, well, I'll ask you this question. I'm sure you know the answer. Who are you most likely to be assaulted by? Um, your partner. <laughs> people you date, but even more so, people you know. Yeah, people and you know. And in this case, the people that these girls knew were their family. So... James was so obsessed with protecting them from outside that he did not even think that there could be a threat inside. Multiple times during Nanny's childhood at James's family reunions, uncles or cousins were discovered to have molested one or several of the Hazel girls. Mm. And like when I say family reunion, these were just like a bunch of rednecks getting super trashed in the woods. Like, his family reunions were just the guys getting wasted. Oh, my God. So, the problem is, James had taught his daughters to be quiet and to not go against male authority. So, he kind of created the perfect victims. Kids who wouldn't speak up, who didn't have any agency or autonomy. And when these assaults would happen, he was quick to, like beat any of his relatives who touched the daughters except for nancy what why what was his what was his bitch ass excuse please he didn't care about her she's 12 when um he walked into a barn and one of her cousins was trying to pull up her skirt he responded by telling her that she wasn't allowed to participate in the family reunion that year and made her like stay inside the house what an uncle was discovered unbuttoning her shirt at their house Mm -hmm. he sent her to her room because he said she was being flirtatious all of the same gossips who were like yo if you mess with the hazel with james's daughters he'll, he'll mess you up got the message well james doesn't care about what you do to nanny though So these situations kept happening as she's adolescent. Mm -hmm. And they get home and he would explode on her and be like, you're you're a terrible slut. You're being a horrible example for your sisters. Um, Um, He would imply that she was just like Lou. I'm just existing, sir. Exactly. And these these nem are coming up here touching me. Exactly. Dare you. and so nanny is still very young and she's just this tiny ball of rage she's just mad that she's being touched without her consent mad that her dad isn't protecting her like he protects her sisters 
honestly, she's done. And so by the time she's 15, 1920, she's like, I want to leave this house and I want to leave James. Mm-hmm. She's not going back to school and she devises this plan. She knows that she can't cry to her dad. But she had been listening at night when Lou and James were talking. And she knew that the farm was really struggling 1920. And they were doing like the worst they'd done in a long time. You have these grown kids now. Well, so she has a plan. She sits him down one morning and she's just like, look, let me go work in town. She's like, I can make more money as an entry-level factory worker, and you can just give some of my chores to the younger kids. Plus, this money will be consistent even when we aren't selling crops. I'll still be making money at the factory. Mm. James sat with it for about a day, but he really couldn't find a flaw with the logic. And he's like, all right, go to town. So like I said, Nanny was a really good seamstress. So she got a job immediately at the linen thread mill of Blue Mountain. The family loved this extra money that she was making. It definitely lightened the mood in the household. The other kids were like, Nanny found a way out. (laughs) And they're all like, bet. When when we turn 15, we're going to get a job too. (laughs) We're getting the hell out of here. She still couldn't wear makeup or do her hair really cute. But by the nature of the fact that women who worked had to dress a certain way, Mm. she was allowed to dress differently. So now that she was no longer in potato sack dresses, she's going to start making some fans. She made friends at the factory. Um, Since she was in town every day, James would give her errands to run for the sake of the farm, Mm. things to deliver around town. So she got to meet roughly everybody around town, too. They all thought she was pretty cute, a very nice girl. People were actually really surprised that Nanny was a nice person because they had only ever worked with James, who never had a smile on his face ever. She offered to help people whenever somebody in the community needed help. So she made a lot of women friends, too. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just guys. She was this, like, new social butterfly. The older men were a little cautious. They gave her lots of compliments. But no one wanted to be the the guy who was chasing after a teenage girl. Right, right, right. I was gonna I was I was thinking you were gonna say someone who was James's daughter. No, they were just like, mm, you don't wanna be seen as chasing after a kid. This is true. And the other issue was that she was risky. Not as risky as Lou was. But she's still risky. She's a girl from a poor family. She really can't add anything to your life. Mm. You know, Um, the young boys would try and talk to her in private at work because the sound of the machines could drown out the conversation. And they were trying to, you know, get a little touch and feel going on. Yes, yes. Nanny very quickly put the kibosh on that. She's just like, listen, mm -mm, there won't be any sex here. I'm trying to get married. (laughs) And uh, that honestly... Most of the teen boys left her alone at that point. They watched from afar. They were definitely like, whoever gets her, like, she's cute, you know. But she wants to settle down. (laughs) Well, only one boy was bold enough to really stick by her. She was dating around a lot, but his name was Charlie Bragg. And Charlie was 17. 
And he didn't care that she wanted to get married. He was like, bet I will marry you right now. Nanny invited Charlie for dinner and he charmed the house. Lou liked him immediately. Uh, In fact, he was the only boy who ever visited the house that both Lou and James liked. Lou was like, oh, he's attractive. He's funny. James is like, what a great boy. He's not spending all his money on the clubs or the jazz cafes. In fact, Charlie had been using his money to help his family, just like Nanny. Mm. So James was like, that's an awesome kid. There were rumors in town about his family because his mother was single parent. But James wasn't the type to care about that sort of thing, or else he would have never married Lou in the first place. This is true. Four months later, they got married. Yay. Well, this wasn't the dream wedding that Nanny wanted from her books. And the two worked a lot of hours. So they barely had time to spend with each other even before the wedding. In diary entries that we have from 1921, Nanny regretted marrying him. She felt like James had orchestrated this to get rid of her and made her marry the first guy that he liked to have her leave the house. And she had been dating other boys, too, but the family decided that Charlie was the best choice. She felt like this was supposed to be this great moment in her life. And she's like, James took this from me. I don't, I can't necessarily say that that's her viewing the system logically, but she was also 16. This is okay. Never 16 year olds are very emotional. Yeah, this is true. I'm like, she wanted to leave the house anyway. Yeah, 1921. She's only 16 years old. He's 17. I mean, Charlie kind of lost his social life because. All of his guy friends were mad that he had gotten the hot girl. Nanny had a lot of like associates, Mm -hmm. but no close friends. So she decided that if she couldn't have this perfect wedding, she was going to create a perfect life. She'd be the best wife. She'd make the best meals. She was going to raise their kids so much better than James and Lou had raised her. Now, before the wedding night, Nanny's mom, Lou, tried to explain wifely duties as far as sex went. And it's not that Nanny didn't understand, like, childbirth and things like that. You grow up on a farm, you learn about how animals make babies. Right. But she definitely wasn't prepared for what it was going to be like. And she did write in her diary that she did not enjoy her first sexual encounter with her husband. Even more jarring, the next morning at the Brack House, she walks downstairs and she sees this older woman who's kind of pissed off. And she's like, oh, that's his mom, Ma, his mom. Yeah. She didn't realize that Charlie's mom was going to be living there. Yeah. I mean, that's something you should, you know, specify when you're getting married. Well, and moving in together. So, Mama Bragg, as I will call her, um, she had a, a very peculiar illness that only seemed to flare up when it was convenient for her. And Lovely. Immediately what happened is that Mama Bragg was just like James. Barking orders, yelling at her if she didn't clean the house fast enough. At least back home... Nanny could complain to her mom about James mm-hmm. and the two of them could just sit and be like, oh, he's the worst. Yeah, I know. Um, 
But here, if Nanny complained about Mama Bragg, Charlie got really upset. Like, he took it as a personal insult. Well, your mom's being an asshole. Right. And, like, when I say, like, she's terrible, that, like, at night when Charlie came home from work, his mother would sit at the dinner table and publicly talk about all the things that she felt Nanny wasn't doing correctly. What? Awful. What is she doing around the house? Nothing. You can at least hope since she you're not doing nobody shit. Nobody talked to about this new hell. She's a teenager. This is an adult woman. So Nanny's like, I'm going to try to carve out some time with me and Charlie. But Miss Mrs. Bragg figured that out too. Yeah. I can- and so... Nanny would try and have, like, she would make dinner for Mrs. Bragg, right? Mm. And then she's like, oh, Charlie and I are going to go to town. And we're going to have a meal together, you know, as, like, a couple. And, of course, Mrs. Bragg would say that her stomach hurt and she couldn't be left alone. So Charlie would just go, oh, it's okay, Nanny. You can go. Go have dinner. I know you wanted to go to town tonight. I'm going to stay with my mom. Yeah, I wanted to go with you. Exactly. Or, like, they would... Your door set up something to go see a movie. Mama Bragg, I'm having a dizzy spell. Then go lay down. We'll see you later in like an hour. I don't know how long movies were, but anytime yeah. Nanny tried to carve out some time for herself with Charlie, Mom Bragg was ruining it, just ruining it. On top of that, uh, Mama Bragg started throwing out Nanny's uh, romance novels. So now everything uh, she has to escape is crushed. All right, look, you gotta go. Like this is my stuff. I you don't see me throwing away your stuff. Well, Charlie's completely oblivious to his mother's manipulations. Nanny is desperate just for some alone time without with anybody. She couldn't be by herself. Like Mama Bragg followed her around the house, so she started smoking. It's pretty common around the time for people to smoke. And she couldn't smoke in the house because Mama Bragg had a condition. Right. So I got my long time. Exactly. It actually became like a two plus pack a day habit. So that any time she needed a moment, she grabbed a cigarette and walked outside. I don't blame her at all. She also started drinking to kind of help her uh, deal with the constant disapproval. Problem with that is Nanny Doss has a brain injury Mm. and you really shouldn't mess with your brain chemistry and alcohol Mm -mm. affects your brain. I mean, I can just imagine her being like the sassiest person while she's drinking anyway. But well, what started happening is something that she referred to as a brain fog throughout the day. She started she got depressed again. Not a day went by like the, the diary entries were sporadic, but. She wrote about wanting to die a lot. Never mind, not sassy at all. Uh, what's funny is, though, she was so mad at Mama Bragg that she was just like, I can't just lay down and die. I hate her. I must do better out of spite. I will outlive her out of spite. <laughs> I will be the best person I can out of spite. So this has been going on for years now. It's 1923. She's 20 years old. She realizes the one place she can be alone with her husband is in the bedroom. Oh. 
So she's like, screw it. We're going to have sex as often as possible. (sighs) Whenever possible. (laughs) Uh, And that was the way that she could uh, piss off her mother-in-law. She did it whenever he wanted. And uh, that went on for a, uh, well, yeah, kids happened. (laughs) Yeah. Children. Uh, Four, in fact, from 1923 to 1927. The eldest was, her name is Melvina, and the youngest is Florine. The middle child, the middle children are not referenced, and I'll get to why they aren't referenced in a little while. Mm. So what happened after she had, like, a couple babies? As she would leave the kids with the mother-in-law, and then she would go dancing and drinking in Aniston with the men who made her feel wanted. Lou started hearing rumors about Nanny being seen topless at a bar, cheating on her husband, letting men touch on her on the dance floor, going into back rooms at the bars. No. Charlie and his mother couldn't confirm that these stories were more than rumors, and Charlie didn't exactly have anything to say. He was having affairs with women at the linen factory, and Nanny knew all about it because she still had friends at the linen factory. In fact, she wrote down all of his affairs in her diary as... A counter move to if he ever came at her, she could be like, ah, but you've also been sleeping with this person, this person, this person, and this person. But they were having sex whenever he wanted. So what was... Well, after the kids, she didn't really want him to touch her anymore. I mean, well, I mean, that, that I understand. Yeah. Nanny fixated on her eldest daughter, Melvina, and she was going to give Melvina... The best life. The childhood she never had. Yep. Melvina was going to travel the world, find love, have an amazing life. But real life actually hit Nanny kind of hard. Now she had to take care of Charlie, his mother, four kids under five. And it was a lot to deal with. Charlie started getting more sloppy with his affairs. He was going around town telling everybody who listened how unhappy he was with his marriage. She doesn't let me touch her anymore. Then he started disappearing for days at a time. Nanny wrote in her in her her diary about how much she adored her eldest daughter, but she wasn't really vibing with the other pit, the other kids. Uh, the youngest was a baby, still breastfeeding. Okay, well, I, the other two would have been one and two years, like one and two years old. You gotta vibe with all the kids. Come on. Well, one day in 1927. Charlie comes home from a bender, hungover. He's been gone for days. There's a crowd of people around his house. Mm-hmm. They're all there offering condolences. He pushed his way into the house to find his wife sitting in the with the baby in her arm. Melvina sitting next to her. Lou and James are there. He's like, where are the, the girls? The crowd in and around the house immediately scandalized. How does Charlie not know that two of his children are dead? Because he hasn't been home. They've been dead for days. Exactly. Where has he been? Where were you when your family needed you? Nanny's sobbing openly. So a couple of days beforehand, the two girls had eaten breakfast and gone off to play. Melvina had only eaten toast that day and Florine was still being breastfed. Mm -hmm. Something had been off with the porridge no one caught it even mama brag by lunch the two girls had trouble walking 
A doctor came to the house and told them it was food poisoning. By the next day, they were dead. (sighs) Charlie, bad place. Everybody in town was mad at him. Yep. Yep. It's your fault, buddy. You weren't there. Folks whispered whenever he, like, walked around about how he was a terrible husband. He was an awful dad. And the same breath, they're like, Nanny, how can she handle that all by herself? She's so amazing. She's so strong. Poor kids. Now, later on, Charlie did an interview. And he said that day when he walked into the house, in the midst of all of Nanny's crying mm. and sobbing he said she fought she looked at him around the house and he said he noticed something in her eyes he said she looked very cold and very angry with him you don't say one night he packs a bag grabs Melvina from her bed and leaves town He actually later said that he would have taken Florine too, but she had fallen asleep in her mother's arms. But why? Because she was mad at him, so he thought she was going to do something to him? Yes. (laughs) Oh. Uh, Nanny tried to treat it like one of his binges. You know, 1927, though, it really dragged on for her, and both she and the town were like, he's not coming back. Mama Bragg was actually so shocked by her son's behavior that her health actually started to decline, like for real. Oh, nice. Um, Unlike before when she was ill only when it suited her, Mm -hmm. this time without her son, this child she had raised on her own his whole life, she just started wasting away. By summer of 1927, she died. Oh, uh, so sad. And he used well, the rest of their like savings to pay for his mom's funeral, and then she went back to work. A year later, summer of 1928, Charlie comes home with his daughter, another woman, and a little boy. Oh no! <laughs> if you thought she was going to do something to you that night, buddy boy, yeah. Nanny was furious, <laughs> but the house did belong to Charlie, so she packed up her things. She took Melvina and Florine. And walked away from his house with her head held high. The town thought of her as a saint. But Charlie knew better. And he was convinced that if he had come back alone, she probably would have killed him. And he was probably right. I mean, he was right. Yeah, because she knew your ass was cheating. So you pissed her off and you were gone for days. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to come home to a welcome home. Thanks for coming back from the war shit. No. Well, for the rest of his life, he said that he didn't leave Nanny because an affair with that new woman. He said he left because he was afraid of her. Yeah, okay. Well, Nanny returns to her mom and the Hazel Farm. Lou's really happy. She has two of the grandchildren there. James, like, you gonna come work? (laughs) And her marriage is annulled due to Charlie's infidelity. Mm Mm-hmm. Nanny starts looking for work closer to the farm. Uh, Charlie was still at the linen factory, so she wasn't going to go work there. And the other factory job that she had been working before uh, Mama Bragg died was only part-time. So she finds a job in Aniston at a cotton mill. It was far away, and it was really hot, but it was her best-paying gig. 
And also, it gave her time away from her family, which she really wanted. The long trip back and forth to work. The men at the cotton mill hopingly lusted after her. She's only 23. Mm. Uh, But she definitely wasn't ready to jump into a new relationship. This time, she wasn't going to just accept the first guy who wanted her. She wanted romance. So she very quickly discounted the men at the mill and she started reading Lonely Hearts columns. The same kind of columns she used to read and write to when she was a teenager, but she never got any responses. Mm -hmm. And that's because when she was a teenager, the kind of stuff she was writing was probably outrageous. (laughs) Uh, I doubt any grown man would have been like, yeah, I totally want to date this 14 year old. Who wants to like go on dates on the beach and stuff like that. (laughs) Wind blowing through my hair. Well, she got her picture taken and she would send out that letter and she would also send them baked goods to show that she was really good in the kitchen. She got a lot of replies. She sent a lot of letters. 1929, she exchanged letters with Robert Franklin Harris. She described him as looking like a movie star. And he was pretty smitten with her, too. In fact, the day after he got her first reply, he showed up at the doorstep. He like he drove like two hours. Oh wow! And and he showed up with like flowers and chocolates. That's... And then he like knock 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 on the door. She looks even better than the picture. He's like, "Bet this is awesome." Robert was who she had always dreamed of as a child. They dated for two months, and he proposed. She accepted. He told her he was going to take her away, give her a great life. They had this big wedding and the whole town showed up because they were all up on the gossip about what happened with Charlie. Right, right. So everybody was like, she's this awesome girl. Look at all the stuff she did. Her husband left her. She still paid for his mom's funeral and took care of his mom till she died. She's like, they think she's amazing. All her like ladies from the linen factory like showed up and they were like wishing her well. It was, it was a big mm-hmm. deal. So that boy, Charlie, still works here. He's, oh my God, he's a piece of work. (laughs) James and Lou were the only ones who were kind of mad. They were just like, listen, one, you didn't consult us about this marriage. And two, you're taking the kids. We just got to hang out with our grandchildren. And now you're moving them a couple hours away from us. Yeah, I can see that part. Like, but the other part. Right. Yeah. Well, that's times. I ain't got to tell you. (laughs) Well, Robert buys a two-bedroom log cabin outside of Cedartown after their wedding. Uh, they had a pretty great wedding night in front of a log fire okay. after the little the after uh, the girls went to sleep. Mm-hmm. They had a really great honeymoon period too in their marriage, and then life went back to normal, and Nanny wasn't as happy. Robert was a gentleman, and he always treated her kindly. She did think he drank too much whiskey, but. Uh, that wasn't as big of a deal. What she was most upset about was that she was trying to get closer to him and he wouldn't talk to her. Like he wouldn't talk to her about like real stuff. Mm-hmm. And it reminded her of being married to Charlie. The more comfortable Robert got, the more out of control his drinking uh, became. And after Prohibition ended, he was able to buy legal and much more expensive alcohol. Nanny would cook these meals and they'd go cold as he stayed out every night drinking. He actually spent a lot of time in the Cedartown drunk tank and Nanny would drive the car over to pick him up 
and get him out of jail in the morning. Years went by like this. First, she tried to get him to stop drinking. And then she decided if she couldn't stop him, she was going to join him. No, you got kids. Well, one night the two got wasted. They dropped teenage Melvina at a friend's house, legitimately forgot that Florina was at school. Oh, my God. Florina is at home by herself for two days in the cabin, and the police came and took her. They took her to her dad's house in Alabama. And uh, after that... Well, first, Nanny immediately went back and took Florine from her dad's house because you're not going to get the kid. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> After that, she stopped drinking as much and just went back to the romance novels. Please. Thank you. I mean, both of y'all can't be drunks. I mean. Exactly. Both the parents can't be no, drunk and I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah. The other, what's his name? I don't know. I forgot his name already. Which Robert. One? Robert. Or... Yeah. Robert's the guy who. Yeah. He, he's a cutback. Just a little bit. But. You know, damn, not both of (laughs) y'all. Robert and Nanny were married for 16 years. Oh. Uh, Melvina and Florina grew up well, despite both of the parents. Uh, Both of them sought marriage pretty young. They were trying to get away from Nanny. Mm -hmm. Um, Melvina got pregnant at 18, got married in 1942. Florine immediately moved in with her sister and her sister's husband. (laughs) She's like, please, She's please. She's like, no, no, this is great. I'll help you with the baby. Yeah, definitely. Please let me live with you, please. Yeah, because Florine would have been 14. Yeah. <laughs> um, she has the first baby, names him after her stepdad. Mm. That's Robert, baby Robert. Mm-hmm. And then she gets pregnant almost right away. And it strangely bothered Nanny that... Her new husband was making her get pregnant back to back to back, just like had happened to her. Now, this is entirely suspicion, but I'm going to give you this suspicion. Okay. Melvina had a nightmare after she lost her second child in 1943. And she distinctly remembers seeing her mother kill her child in the delivery room with a hat pin. Bruh. Hat pins were roughly six inches. Yeah, no, those things are long. she said in this dream, she wasn't sure if she was dreaming or if it was actually happening, but that she saw Nanny take the hat pin and push it into the soft part of the baby's head. (sighs) Now, both her husband and uh, Florine were there, Florina were there, but neither of them had seen that happen. They did see that Nanny had a hat pin, but after that, Melvina goes through some pretty serious depression. Mm -hmm. Uh, She ends up having an affair with a soldier in Anniston. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nanny tries to talk to Melvina about it, and Melvina's like... My life, leave me alone. It's my life, mom, leave me alone. This is none of your business. Oh, God. Shortly after that particularly bad argument between the two of them, Melvina's son, Robert Lee Haynes, dies while Nanny is watching him. July 7th, 1945. Come on. He was originally diagnosed with asphyxia, and the doctor assumed that it was cot death. 
Now you have children. You know what that is. That's sudden infant death syndrome. Oh, right. Okay. That doesn't happen to a four-year-old. Four-year-olds don't have sudden infant death syndrome. Unfortunately, no, because they're not infants anymore. They're not infants anymore. (laughs) They called it cot death then, you know, kids mysteriously dying in their beds. Yeah, SIDS. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, We will learn later on that nanny poisoned him with cookies that were laced with rat poison oh, come the fuck this on. is one of the crimes she did admit to at the funeral of course nanny behaves outlandishly sobbing in the mud fainting uh her husband robert franklin comes takes her home he goes back to the gravesite with florine and melvina and he says something really curious to his now adult daughters I reckon I'm probably next. Okay. Okay. Definitely wasn't wrong. So after World War II ended, massive celebrations all across the U.S. Mm -hmm. One night, Robert goes out drinking, celebrates with his friends, and when he came home, he raped his wife. (sighs) Things had been bad for a long time, but he had never crossed this kind of line before. The following morning, before he woke up, she went out to her garden. It was the one place that she had that nobody in the family bothered her. It was the garden that she took care of everything. And then as she's out there, she walks around and she sees that some of her roses have been dug up. And that was just the straw that broke the camel's back for that situation. She's like, not only did you defile my body, but you also destroyed my rose bushes. Oh, yeah. He dug yeah. them up because he was hiding a jar of moonshine in Come the dirt. On. Come on. So she pours out some of the moonshine and she promptly pours in some rat poison. She puts the lid back on and she sticks it back in the dirt. She makes herself scarce and doesn't see him for the next day. Goes to bed as usual. He's out drinking again. And the following morning, she finds his body outside near the garden with an empty moonshine container. She calls the police. Um, Because Robert had been so drunk when he died, literally he just smelled like alcohol. Mm -hmm. It was all over him. The doctor's just like, he must have gotten so drunk, he passed outside, died of exposure. The doctor did wonder if maybe he had like made a bad batch of moonshine, but it was empty, so they couldn't really test it. He drank the whole bottle. It was good. And he was probably too wasted to taste the bitterness of the rat poison. Mm. Melvina and Florine attended that funeral and never spoke to their mother ever again for the rest of their lives. Ah, uh, because he was right. He was next. He indeed was right. He said, I reckon I'm next. And they were like, oh, damn. Okay. Nanny received $500 for her grandson, Robert. And then she received an undocumented amount of money from her husband's death, but it is documented that it was a lot. Why'd she get money for her grandson? Because she had a life insurance policy on the baby. What? You uh-huh. can, wait, grandparents can do that to their grand? A lot of people, you can take almost anybody. You just got to have their social. Really? Yeah, you can take out insurance policies on almost everybody. Oh my fucking God. You can have work policies out on people, all sorts of crazy stuff. Huh. Interesting. It was so much money, though, that she went She went to Alabama, to Jacksonville, actually, and bought 10 acres. She built a little cottage on one side, outfitted it with a beautiful library. Mm-hmm. Then she leased 
the majority of the land to sharecroppers and took a cut of their profit. And that was her primary income to maintain the land and everything. After a little bit, she decided she wanted to find love again. This time, though, she was not going to be swayed by flowers and poetry on her doorstep. She also started traveling on the U.S. rail system. So what she would do is she would write to people and then occasionally, like as she was traveling up and down all over the country, Mm -hmm. she would stop and meet them at their cities. She met her new beau two years after Robert's death. Uh, She met Arlie Lanning in Lexington, North Carolina. Nanny was 42, divorced, widowed, still considered to be rather beautiful. Uh, Arlie was about three years younger than her. Uh, When she got off of the train, he was pretty stunned. See, with all that money, now Nanny just was like, she wasn't just cute anymore. Mm -hmm. She was glamorous. (laughs) Sis, she dressed in the finest fashions from New York. (laughs) She showed up in... North Carolina looking like a baddie. (laughs) (laughs) She stayed there with him for three days. And at the end of the day, she was like, I like him. A week after she went back to Alabama, packed up some of her stuff and moved to Lexington. Mm -hmm. It did not go well. He was very much in love with Nanny as in love with someone that you just met. But he was also a playboy. And even though in his letters he talked about how he really should settle down and have a family, he just couldn't seem to stop drinking and chasing tail. And it was just very obvious to anyone outside of town that uh, he, was, he, he just didn't know how to slow down. He decided that to be kind to Nanny, he was just going to lie and live a double life. Oh, yeah. It always works out. Well, a month into their marriage, he slips up. He's at another lady's house. He falls asleep because he's so wasted. Mm -hmm. He wakes up. He was only two hours late to dinner. But when he gets home, one, Nanny already knew what he was doing. She was like, listen, if he can keep it to himself, we can have a fine life. Mm -hmm. Well, when he got home late that night, the house was empty, completely dark. He searches town. He searches everywhere. And he he missed the fact that she left a note for him that said, going on a trip, be back soon. She came back a week later. She had gone to check on her house in Alabama, and then she just went to New York to go shopping. Oh, okay. Came back with gifts full, like, bunch of bags full of gifts for herself. Oh, <laughs> treat yourself. Arlie didn't say anything because he was like, ah, I'm so sorry. I'm going to do better. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to be a good husband. And he tried. Like, it worked for a little bit. Okay. Then one night he went out drinking with some of his coworkers and he didn't come home that night. When he made it back the following morning, there was just a note that said, be back soon. Oh. She came back a month later. Oh, my God. <laughs> with new fashionable clothing. No explanation to where she'd been. She didn't explain nothing. He apologized for breaking his promise. He was super remorseful. This went on for the next five years. A month, though? She would just, like, he would slip up, sleep with someone. She would go off and have a wonderful adventure. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Then, between December of 1951 and January of 1952, Arlie stayed home instead of going out all the time. Not because he'd become a better man, but because there was actually a lethal flu strain. Mm. 
in Lexington that was killing people. Mm. Legitimately, they were having their own COVID crisis <laughs> and, and everyone was staying home. She spent like some of that time baking for her husband, making his favorite dishes, but she really kind of didn't like being stuck in the house with him. It reminds me very much of like that uh, time that Kim Kardashian married that one basketball player. And they remember when the, the basketball strike happened mm. and he mm. was home all the time and she's sitting there crying to her sisters. <laughs> yes. I remember. And her sisters are like, you have to be around somebody you're married to. It was kind of like that here. Like normally he'd be out. So she got used to being a home alone at night and he would come home at like 11 and then be in bed. Right, right, right. And do you? <laughs> she's annoyed by him being there. Oh my God. Just like how cats are right now. Well, the depression creeped back up and Arlie kind of got to see that side of her and she didn't like it. Mm. So she made him a special pie filled with stewed sweet prunes. It had a little bit of a bitterness to it, hmm. but he still ate it. And uh, then she called the doctor the next morning. And hours later, the doctor arrived because he had been very busy. Lots of people were dying. Mm-hmm. He was just like, oh, no, Arlie Lanning died. It, it looks like it's heart failure, which is what they were writing on the reports to say that it, it was instead of the flu mm-hmm. because they didn't want to cause a public panic. That sounds familiar, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, things did like they normally do. People supported her. She moved in with Arlie's mother. Um, Arlie's will listed his sister as the beneficiary since he hadn't changed it since they gotten married. Oh. Nanny hadn't taken out a life insurance policy on him because this wasn't really planned. So you just killed him for nothing. Well, she's going to lose her home. What Nanny did realize, though, is that the house had an insurance policy on it. Oh, you're going to burn her the name house was on those documents. Oh, my God. Arlie's sister was supposed to get the house. And so Nanny played it off like, okay, you can have the house. It's fine. Your brother left it to you. I'm going to get all my stuff out of it. She sends all her stuff back to Alabama. And then, oh, no, there's a fire. Imagine that. The fire department and the insurance company take a month to investigate. Nanny stays with Arlie's mother uh, just to collect the money. Mm Mm-hmm. It wasn't weird at all that it happened right after she sent all of her very fancy, expensive things back to Alabama. But um, then Nanny had an issue. She collected all this money from the house. And she didn't want to be judged by the Lanning family. So she came up with a plan. She was like, listen, Mrs. Lanning, you're my mother-in-law. I'm going to help you while I stay here. And Mrs. Lanning is... Listen, she is a good cook, so we might as well let her cook all the meals. Which is when Mrs. Lanning started suffering from such a strange illness right after her son's death. (laughs) She died that year, too. And the doctor said it must be the flu. Oh, wow. That flu is killing everybody. It's just killing everybody, isn't it? Mrs. Lanning's house went back to her, went to her daughter. Mm -hmm. And Nanny slipped away back home to her lonely heart's ads. However, what Nanny found at her house was letters from her family saying that her sister Dovey was really ill. Oh. By the time Nanny showed up to her sister's house, the sister was in her early 30s, but 
how do I explain this? If you've ever seen somebody who's had a really long bout with cancer, they look almost skeletal. Mm-hmm. It, it just, as it takes its toll on your body, that's what Dovey looked like. Um, it was very obvious that her sister was dying. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Nanny decided to help her along. She took care of her sister for a week, hand fed her, and Dovey died at the end of that week. She took care of her. Indeed she did. She took, she paid for the funeral. Uh, she was a spectacular host to everyone who was there, but her parents were missing. Her other siblings said, uh, oh yeah, that's cause, uh, dad died. And. Anybody going to tell me this? Right. <laughs> Nanny's just like, wait, what? <laughs> I you, hate that so much. You would think that this would be like a source of solace for her. But instead, it actually made her more unhinged. Mm. This was the boogeyman of her entire life. He's the reason why everything bad ever happened to her. And now she doesn't get the satisfaction of doing it herself. Because she had thought about it her whole life. (laughs) Now she would never get the chance to kill James Hazel. But she went to the farm and talked to her mother. Lou... Lou was lost without James, not because she loved him, because he had this power over her as an abuser. And she didn't know what to do now that she was free. Mm. The farm was deep in debt and there was no way that Lou, who's now elderly, (laughs) is going to be able to run a farm. Right. In fact, the farm was a couple weeks of being taken by the bank. Lou is facing homelessness, so Nanny's like, fine. Come live with me. You can come live with me. Lou is super apologetic about James, about how awful he'd been to her. And Nanny's just like, oh, can you not? <laughs> it's your fault. And and Nanny very much pivots her rage from James onto Lou. Oh. Because as far as she's concerned... If you had just had the balls to stand up for us and leave him, none of us would have went through any of that. Mm. And it's not an uncommon thought process that children of abuse abuse experience. It's just the problem is that Nanny is not 15. Right. Yeah. She's she's now nearly 40 years old. I was going to say 40, 50 years she is losing control, and the only thing that made her feel like she was in control was to take care of things. To take care of people. So Lou got sick, and then she became bedridden. Nanny tended to her every need, and eventually she died too. She- After this, Nanny reinvented herself. She joined the Diamond Circle Club. It cost $15 a month. She was 47 years old. Ooh. That's a lot of money. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, <laughs> she balling out there. She marketed herself very well via the member ads and got a lot of offers. She met Richard Morton of Jamestown, North Carolina. When they met in person, he said that Nanny was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen. 
and the two got married in 1952 in Emporia, Kansas. Nanny actually liked him, but he had an adultery problem, very similar to Arlie, but it was creepier because he was 60. Who Who's he going after? Are those 60-year-old? Nope. Young girls. Oh. oh. Much younger. So what he would do is he would go on these little trips, and sometimes he would come back later than he was supposed to, like work trips. Mm-hmm. And so he would always tell Nanny that he was just dawdling. What he was doing was visiting these young girls. and <laughs> He said he was dawdling, but he was actually diddling. <laughs> Stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> He'd always come back and he would bring Nanny these little presents and trinkets and things. Now, unlike what happened with Charlie, you know, Nanny had that network of women she knew. So one day, Nanny goes to a hair salon and the women in town are gossiping and they're just like, do you know about Richard? And those ladies spilled everything. She learns that some of these young girls have some of the same items that Richard bought on his trips. That so not hmm. only did he buy presents for all of his little ladies, right? He bought the same thing for every woman. Oh, come on, you gotta be original. So, like, you imagine you have this really nice necklace, and there's like two other, like, 23 year olds, <laughs> 25 year olds walking around with the same fancy necklace oh that you God. have, and you're 47 years old. Was he like a sugar daddy or something? Kind of. Oh, my God. She left the salon. She started writing to new men in the Diamond Circle, (sighs) telling them that she was recently widowed in Kansas. Oh, my God. And she wanted to travel. I'm about to be. That's why I said this reminded me of the Peterson situation. (laughs) He was telling women that he was recently widowed. So is Nanny. She's like, listen, I'm recently widowed in Kansas. I really want to travel. She actually looks into his finances and realizes that he's trash with money. And he was getting deeper and deeper in debt. He was just spending like crazy. Hmm. So Nanny's like, I have to do something just to protect our assets or else he is going to take all of my money too. Three months after they got married... Richard Morton met his demise with an apple pie. Oh, so delicious. So deadly. Funny enough, the local women in town all kind of had a vibe that Nanny did it, but they were like, "Ah, he deserved it. (laughs) So nobody said anything. The bank foreclosed on the house and she spent most of his life insurance policy that she'd taken out on him to pay for all of his debt that he accrued. She only made about $2,000 off of his murder, which would be about $20,000 in today's money. It was a much smaller payday than she had made before. But, you know, she still came out in the green. Right. And he did not go back to the Diamond Club, though. She instead moved to Oklahoma. And she found the Lonely Heart. uh, She was like, the Lonely Heart's prospects all suck. What she was coming across was the fact that most men who were in her age range had uh, run around and messed up their lives and were just looking for the bare basics. Mm -hmm. In Oklahoma, she meets a man named Samuel Doss. Now, she had been talking with Samuel Doss for years. They kept up correspondence from old Lonely Hearts letters. They were just pen pals for a long time. He was married. Um, He he was a Nazarene priest and he had recently lost his family to a tornado in Arkansas. He was a very simple, hardworking man. He was very conservative. Um, 
she liked that because she was like, well, at least since he's obsessed with God, he's not going to cheat. June of 1953, just a month after burying Richard, she marries Samuel, moves to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Like I said, the two got married very quickly, but they've been talking for years. So Samuel was at this place where he was just like, honestly, I just want a woman who cooks and cleans. <laughs> and I'm not even like, she doesn't have to do it by herself. I'll help her. However, they were not a good match. She was wealthy and spent a lot. He was super thrifty. He wouldn't let her use the fan in the house unless it was boiling hot outside. Oh, no. And you know that wouldn't work for me because <laughs> I, I live on air conditioning. So I could not exist. I can't imagine dating somebody and then being like, no, don't turn the air conditioner on. Hey, no, no. It's too cold in here at all. He was like, listen, you better be sweating oh my God. before you turn that fan on, girl. Uh, he refused to have a television in the house. He was like, television rots your brain. Read the Bible. <laughs> no. <laughs> he planned out their their like marital sex on a calendar. He only wanted her to spend money on necessities. Three months in, she's just like, I can't deal with this. And she goes back to her house in Alabama. By the time she gets back to Alabama, there's already a letter waiting for her from Samuel. Mm. He's like, listen, this is why we shouldn't get divorced. Also, you're real quick to anger and you need to work on that. Mm. He's like, if you come back home, I'll be a little less strict and a little less rigid. First, she was mad. She was like, one, how dare you say all this about me? I'm delightful. <laughs> how dare you say all this true stuff about me? <laughs> <laughs> then she was like, you know what? I'm going to go home. I want to see what his finances look like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Samuel's like, bet she came back. He's so happy that she came home that he's like, fine, you want to see the finances? I'll take you to the bank. He show, like puts her name on everything. Now, Nanny brought back with her from Alabama all of her romance novels. And you know she always loved them things. Mm -hmm. She goes to put her romance novels on the shelf next to all of Samuel's books. And he's like, what is this filth? Oh, bro, come on. And he's like, no, 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 no. We can't have this trashy garbage in the house. My books are to enrich people spiritually or intellectually. Your books don't do that. Oh, they kind of do. He pretty much was like, this is smut and God doesn't like this, but I will help you deal with your porn addiction, your porn book addiction. If you want me to, I will, I will minister to you wife. Now, would you say you think Nanny Doss is religious? No, nope. She did not <clears throat> find this attractive at all. This offer, not attractive. And she, he was, she was like, okay, fine. She's so she moved the books. She tried to hide them around the house. He threw them out. I would kill his. <laughs> livid remember i told you that she had trouble with her anger yeah all of her murders have a moment when she gets outlandishly upset every single one of them this is that moment Someone this is die. the same thing that happened with arlie lanning's mom not arlie lanning um mama bragg mama bragg throughout her books yeah. too was it charlie yeah charlie. yeah charlie's mom throughout her books too 
So she definitely was like, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> Only issue is that while other husbands left her alone in the kitchen and kind of Samuel was always around. Oh, God. She couldn't find a good time to poison him. Get off my ass. So she started putting like little bits in his coffee. That's the only time she had. He drank coffee at every meal. This wasn't enough to kill him, just enough to make him very sick. He lost a lot of weight and he got put in the hospital for observation. Uh, The doctor determined that he had an infection in his intestines, probably from all the rat poison. Mm -hmm. They gave him antibiotics. He still didn't get better. He was there for 23 days and Nanny came to the hospital every day. Of course. Because he didn't get better. He didn't get better. Well, putting on that mask, showing the the community that she was a great wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually did get better and he came home. Oh, okay, cool. He was really weak, but considered to be cured. She prepared just this fabulous pork roast and she made sure to let him know, like, listen, this is just a one-time thing. I will not buy this kind of food every day. I know you don't like to spend lots of money. She gave him a nice pipe and hot cup of coffee. He was ravenous. He ate loads of it. Drank his coffee, sat down to read a book in the living room. Before Nanny was done scrubbing the pots and pans of the rat poison, he was already complaining of stomach pains. In the morning, she called 911 to report him dead. The doctor, the the like doctor who sees the dead bodies is just like, Incredible. oh, this is, you said he was just in the hospital for 23 days? That's probably why. Mm-hmm. Boop, fill out the paperwork, that's done. Mm-hmm. This was all going to plan. Oh, she fucked up. <laughs> well, here's the problem. So Samuel's doctor from the hospital was Dr. Schwabian. And he learned that the patient who he had just discharged 24 hours ago was in the morgue. And he was. It's kind of like in that sense of uh, like the crime or like the the. What he calls police procedurals. There's just that one police officer who's like, oh, yeah. I just have a feeling yep, yep, something's yep, yep. wrong about this. That was Dr. Schwalbian. He had it. no legal right to ask for an autopsy. But what he decided to do was go and pay his respects at the house. And then in front of a crowd, he asked Nanny Doss, I really want to know about your husband's condition. I, you know, for almost a whole month, I treated him and I really thought he was getting better and he died the next day. Can I get, can I do an autopsy? Mm. And in front of that crowd, there was no way she could say no. Honestly, no. Why do you need one? No. She was still very concerned about people's opinion of her, despite the fact that she really could have just dipped down immediately after. Exactly. You got the money. She could have just been like, no, gotten a funeral and dipped. Yeah. But she was like, oh, the people in town are going to talk about me after I leave, even though I'm never going to come back. Oh, well. Very confusing. But she said yes. And Dr. Schwelvian did the autopsy. He found a pork roast that had been barely digested, lots of coffee, and the most cyanide, like enough to kill a horse, cyanide. <laughs> she really- enough to kill like a 800-pound creature. She's like, you going to die today. Yes, she's like, tonight is the night Samuel. Oh my God. <laughs> the police came to collect Nanny for questioning, and that's when it got weird. She denied killing her husband, but as they were interviewing her, she started like these weird, like, laughs. It was almost like she was incredulous that they would even ask her. 
What do you mean? <laughs> my, he'll kill my husband. <laughs> what are you talking about? And she sat in these interrogations like for a whole 24 hours. Like they never let up just thumbing through her like trashy magazines, giggling as the police officers interrogate her. She never broke. She just laughed. And the police were jarred. They tried for that whole day to get her to confess. And the reason why they needed her to confess is because she was too, she was charming She's a charismatic and physically disarming. Mm. She was, she's, that's why she looked like a little grandma, cute little lady. I, like the pictures of her, she does look like a cute little old lady. She does. And they were like, unless we get a conviction, we're uh, a confession. We are never going to get a conviction. There's no way a jury is going to put her in prison with the way that she is. And like, when I say that she was super inappropriate, she flirted with the police officers, talked about how cute they were, made inappropriate comments about them. In fact, the police actually pulled back and the FBI sent special agent Ray Page to interrogate her. As he's he first watches her talk, them talk to the other men, he immediately is like, she's either completely insane or detached from reality. Go to the second one. Now, the FBI had access to her history that the locals did not. So... Agent Page realized there is a pattern of death following this woman. And I need to talk about that with her. So the first thing he does is he goes into the room and he takes away her, not her magazines. And then he asks her, do you believe in ghosts, Nanny? And the question throws her off and she doesn't say anything. And he says, a few years doing my job, you start to believe in them. They don't haunt places. You see, they haunt people. I meet a lot of haunted people doing my job. People that have done wrong and know that they've done wrong. Nanny tried to play it off like she didn't really understand what he was saying. And then he says, these are direct quotes from this police interview. How many husbands have you buried, Nanny? How many ghosts are with us in this room right now? Mm -hmm. Nanny just sits in silence. And so then Paige tells her, I will go to every city that you have ever lived in and I will dig up every body of every ex that you have had. And if I have to do all of that, I am going to push for the death penalty. And finally, Nanny lets out a giggle and goes, all right, all right. I put rat poison in his coffee. (laughs) The whole police station is just silent <laughs> standing outside the interrogation room just watching oh my God. they had cracked like <clears throat> page cracked her and very quickly and that was really fast and he's just like i need you to tell me what happened with all the rest of them though and she's just like listen when you give me back my magazines if i tell you and she's like he's like i promise and she's like it's a it's a deal if there are ghosts in this room, they're either drunk or sleeping. And then Nanny proceeds to tell about how Samuel Doss didn't let her watch TV and he didn't re- let her read her books or run the fan. And over the next 24 hours, they have a very, very lengthy conversation where she describes how she killed her three other husbands. He asks her about the children and her grandchildren 
and her mother and her mother-in-law, mm-hmm. but she denies those initially. Um, but Paige decides he's going to stop with that because he's like, you know what? We got her for four murders. So now the police across America have to exhume all of these bodies to confirm her admissions. Reporters swarm Charlie Bragg's house. He's the only man who escaped. And he makes some decent money off of all those interviews. Oh, my God. The police find dozens of letters from men around the country who she is still talking to. All potential marks. Can you imagine? Relationships she had in the wings just in case the current <laughs> one didn't work out. Yep. So they are also men who were marked for death, honestly. How do you feel? <laughs> if because it went from like there were very there were reasonable ones like oh Richard God. raped her. Yeah, I'm not mad at that one. Mm-hmm. And that's after she put up with him gallivanting all around town and making her look bad. It's true. You know that one I understand, but like it's almost like the fuse got smaller and smaller as time went on. Because she killed the baby because she got into an argument with her daughter. Yeah, that one was fucked up. She killed the first baby right after it was born because she thought it was going to ruin her daughter's life. Yeah, that was fucked up. I'm like, you ruined your daughter's life by literally killing her child. Yeah. Yeah. That was the start of Melvina declining. So they evaluate her psychologically. But it doesn't matter how many doctors they have talked to her. She's still cackling, having thinking this is the funniest thing that's ever happened to her life. But she is deemed sane enough to stand trial. Her trial is set for June of 1955, but her lawyers are like, there is absolutely no way we can defend all of these. We cannot defend the murder of Samuel Doss. Literally, all he did was just be annoying. So they convince Nanny to just, they're like, listen, we've worked this out. You just have to, you have to just plead guilty. We can't go to trial. We literally can't do our job because you are the worst (laughs) defendant of all time. (laughs) Well, I would be the same. Yeah. I'd I'd be the same. I'd be an asshole the whole time. May 17th, 1955. She pleads guilty to murdering her four husbands, her mother, Lou her sister, Dovey, her grandson, Robert, and her mother-in-law, Mrs. Lanning. She is sentenced to life in prison. And interestingly enough, because of sexism, the judge refused to give her the electric chair. He was very much worried about the fact that even through all this, like, okay, if you look at her, there are pictures of her as she's being brought in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's smiling. Yeah, yeah, Taking yeah. pictures. Adorable as hell. Looking right. So she still had a sway over the public. And he's like, I'm not going to be the one who puts her in the electric chair. And she, you know, do her act until she gets murdered. Because you knew she was going to do her. Well, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. On her way, like I said, on her way into the courtroom at her sentencing, she's still smiling, basking in the attention, laughing her way into the prison. She spent her last days in Oklahoma State Prison writing to her fans and men who still wanted to marry her because they are stupid. (laughs) 
I don't care if you'll kill me eventually. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm going to get that old lady wop, apparently. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Let me... No, side, the, the, I'm a sidebar. I mean, she's only 50, not that old. But... I know, but sidebar. Okay, so I was coming up here today, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is going on air. I don't care. People need to hear about this. I had to hear about it, so you got to hear about what it. What happened? So, um, your your neighbor on the fourth floor. Oh. Um, you know, the one that touched my hair the one day, and is I was just Spanish like. the Spanish lady? Yes. Uh, she's very extra. <laughs> she extra. So, she was helping this older man out. Oh, uh, you know, in the elevator, she was talking to him. She's like, you know, if you need any friends or anything, you come talk to me and stuff. And she's, you know, he gets off the elevator and stuff, and she's talking to me. She's like, I wasn't talking about my punani or nothing like that. I was just. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes like, and then she's like, I, I'm too over that. My, my, he's too over that, and I can't be doing all of that. And I know he's old, but I can't be. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, I can only imagine you being so. Oh, the I was like cornered in the elevator. I was like, oh, awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for oh, this imagery. That's great. She's funny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Go back. It's all good. Um, in 1965, uh, Nanny was transferred to the hospital wing of, pres- of the prison, uh, Oklahoma State Prison. Uh, she had leukemia. She was dying. Uh, June 2nd, 1965, at 59 years old, she died alone. Um, her da- like I said, her daughters never talked to her again. They didn't go to the trial. They didn't go to the sentencing. Nothing. They wanted nothing to do with her for the rest of her life. Mm. Yeah, and that is the story of Nanny Doss. Is it, it the for me? It was the the decline. Yeah. Like I said, by the end, it was just you... killed him because you were annoyed. Because he wouldn't let you watch TV. I don't I don't like you right now, so you gotta die. Wild, uh, right? Yeah. Oh my god. Alright. So have you seen Why Women Kill? It pops up on the Amazon Prime. Yeah, it pops up. It's a good show. You should watch it. There's two seasons of it. I I'm pretty sure I probably know the majority of the cases, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why like the second season <laughs> the second season. Like the 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 woman, because whenever I post it on TikTok, people are like, "I watched that. <laughs> I know about her." <laughs> like the second season, uh, I don't. Uh, she was trying to like get into a garden club or something, so she would kill. She like. Oh, she's killing the people. Not in a garden club, but she would kill to get like stature, I guess, and stuff like that. You have to, you have to watch it. it was good. Okay. And at the end, at the end though, when she gets caught and everything, because you know she's gonna call it, you know, it's blah, and you know, she's being rushed to the courthouse, you know, in a police car. All these people are outside with signs and stuff, and she's just like waving to them and like laughing and just like in this like mental thing. Like she, she's still like a superstar, and people are just like. No, we fucking hate you, but she's just really like, like that. Inter- they really like that uh, attention. Yeah, definitely. That's what, and that that was mainly like her her main issues that like she didn't get that attention as a mm. well, when she was younger. So she started getting it, and then she just kept feeding into it. But yeah. Well, what do you have for me? Because you told me you went on 
an exciting trip and then you played me a thing <laughs> in this room and I called you a liar to your face when I heard it. And you told me I had to wait two weeks to learn about what happened and how you got that audio. Absolutely terrifying. Oh my God. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Where did you go? And why did a ghost talk to you, Brian? All right, all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying not to, like, I don't know why. I have the giggles today. That's all right. We had a good, this strangely good fun time. Yeah. I mean, she was the giggling grandma, so yeah. maybe we had a little bit of Nanny Doss energy in here. There you go. My goodness. Laughing through the awful. Okay, so here we are. Like I said last week to you guys, um, I <laughs> you had to look at your face like, tell me now. I'm ready. <laughs> How gotta, did you talk to a ghost, Brian? I gotta get this stuff out of the way. <laughs> you played me the audio. Oh my also, god! Also, did you like put it in the file and rip it apart like I told you to? Oh, I did. <gasps> I want to see it. Yeah, I'll show it to you then. <laughs> oh goodness! Actually, I have it saved on my computer, so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. You can see like at the where where the where the yeah voice yeah comes where in. it came from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, you'll see. Um, so yeah, like like Brittany said, I I did show her a teaser or, or played her a teaser of this before she went on her vacation, and I said I'd tell her about it in the next because I like look look, <laughs> I'm a drama king. Okay, I like this shit right here. Listen, it's fun. All y'all who dip out halfway through, you're missing out. It's an EVP, and I heard it, and it was creepy. So I went on a ghost hunt. Oh, like, it's funny because one day after the, like the podcast, he was just like, "I got, we got to record earlier. I got some place to be." And I was like, "All right, okay, fam, I, we can ha- we can record two hours earlier. Doesn't matter. You got stuff to go. I got stuff to do." Very cryptic. Yes. So where was your ghost hunt? All right. So uh, me and Tara and a whole group of people went up to Crescent, PA. I don't know where that is. It's up by Altoona. Ooh, long trip. Yeah, about two hours. Isn't that like? West? No, yeah. No. It's west from here. Yeah, yeah, western. Yep. Um. Okay. So we went to go check out the, the Crescent Sanatorium. Oh, I didn't even know we had one over there. I only know about Allegheny. Yeah, neither did I. But yeah, I was like, huh, interesting. Okay. So before we get into, you know, what I, my, my experience there, I'm going to give you like a little back history of the place. Blah, 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 I'm blah. surprised Tara went with you. <laughs> I'm surprised I too. didn't know she was into that stuff. She's the one that fucking brought it up to me. Oh, oh! Now if we get 500 people, she's got to come. <laughs> we get 500 patrons, she's got to come to the ghost hunt. She will never. She won't come to the ghost hunt. Listen, we will figure it out. I know there's probably only one bed. We gonna work it out and figure out how to keep three people in this haunted hotel room. Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, okay. <sighs> This might be a quick story, but either way, you're going to hear about all of my experiences. So I'm going to give you the history, like I said. Yeah, so, absolutely. So this place was three things over its entire lifespan. Okay. Um, Before I talk about that, did you know you could buy land for like a dollar back in like... Oh, way back when? There were yeah. good prices for land. Yeah. I was like, there still can be good prices for land. I'm around. just like a dollar? Damn. Because this place is... The, the land that this place is on is massive. I, I mean... Now, was this illegal? Illegal selling? No, illegal with you going there. Oh, no, 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 no. 
Oh, you were allowed to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'll talk about that later, too. Listen, <clears throat> I just wanted to know if you were, you know, breaking the law, breaking the law. <laughs> <laughs> not today. Maybe later. Maybe not. But not today. I mean, not right now. Whatever. Anyway, 1913. The Crescent Tuberculosis Sanitarium ah, yes. opened its doors. Yep, there were whole places made to treat tuberculosis. That I do know. But yeah, I, I, like when I read about that, I was like, "Oh wow, really? Damn, it was really bad." Because I it guess was it, really bad. Yeah. yeah, and it's very what's the word? It's very uh, contagious. Yeah, it's very contagious. Yeah, more even more so than COVID. Yeah, which ever is hoped to be wild. <sighs> but it was given the nickname of the San by employees in just the San. The San. Yeah, like Sands without the S, oh, the extra S. Okay. <clears throat> Intriguing. Yeah. Um, it stayed a tuberculosis uh, treatment uh, facility until 1956 when it was incorporated into the Lawrence F. Flick State Hospital as a center for patients with mental illnesses. Okay. So basically mental hospital, um, <clears throat> mental institution. Okay. Um, plus tuberculosis treatment. Because you said it had multiple purposes mm-hmm. over its yeah, life. Absolutely. So it stayed that way until 1983. Okay. When it was converted into a state correctional institute. Ooh. Bad thing after another, <laughs> yeah. historically. Yep. Yep. Basically. Um, and it stayed that way until 2013 when it was closed down. Did you? 2013? Yeah, 2013. Wow. Now, I didn't notice until I like looked some stuff up about okay. the place. Joseph Kellinger was an inmate at this prison. Okay. And they kept him on suicide watch um, while he was there. Mm. And who else? Oh, John DuPont. You, you heard of him before? Uh, the name's not ringing a bell right now. Hmm. He was a murderer. I think he just murdered one person okay but he was also there as well but uh i guess they well i know Kellinger. he's a really famous guy or a famous name right um i haven't heard of john dupont before but anyway it was abandoned until 2019 when a hydrophonic life uh, when hydrophonic life brought the land or bought the land with plans to build Hydrophonic equipment. They wanted to grow hydrophonic produce and hemp. Oh, cool, cool, cool. And develop sustainable energy projects. Yeah, like if you go up there now, like we went up there, they have a nice sign on the, the Crescent um, whatever, the sign that goes into the penitentiary. Mm-hmm. It says hydrophonic life, Crescent, on the, on the bottom of it. I mean, hydroponics is a, it's a popular thing right now. So. Yeah, Absolutely. But yeah, no, uh, Callinger, that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, big, yeah. Well, he committed his murders with his son. Yes, his 12-year-old son. Mm-hmm. Did I write that down? I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you skipped over your own <laughs> notes. It's all right. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I was like, that. I, I know that he's distinctive for a reason. Yeah. Him and his one son um, committing all those uh, murders. So I'm guessing you guys are asking yourselves what is all this tuberculosis mental hospital prison things that do with ghosts 
Well, we're getting there. They always have ghosts in those places. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um. Oh, I wrote a joke about weed, but we're good. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The jokes write themselves when it comes to weed. <clears throat> this is true. <laughs> so people love to explore abandoned buildings. Absolutely. And people, these people were given permission to uh, tour this sanatorium. Well, the and... other interesting thing about this is that you said 2019. Mm-hmm. I'm. I watch a lot of ghost shows. I'm pretty positive. See, 2019, it got taken over, right? Mm-hmm. 2020, nobody did anything. Yeah, I think because just of COVID. So, 2021 is the only place they. Only yeah, time it's they... very unlikely that any of the major ghost hunters or players in that industry have even had a chance to check it out yet. No, I think this year is the only year they started just. With the tours, I'm not. So you're one of the, the the first. Yeah, actually, um, they said that we were like group number like seven or eight that came up to. That's a big deal. Yeah. As far as you know, being someone to actually get to do a, a proper hunt there. This is true. How long were you actually there? Because you said you had to get on the road by I think like four that day, and you said it took a couple hours. We were up there from 8 to, 8 to like 2 or 3 in the morning. Okay. But the whole, the whole ghost hunt was, yeah, was supposed to be from 8 to 6 a.m. Okay. To the next damn day. Oh, you got, you got, you got your evidence and you left? <laughs> Basically. <clears throat> I'll explain why later. Um, So that's where a ghost hunt comes in. So, the group that was giving out these ghost tours, mm-hmm. it's called uh, Ghost Hunt USA. Okay. Uh, check out their website. It's called ghosthuntusa.com. I'm I'm pretty sure they're the ones who also do the, the Baumeister tours, too. Because I remember I told you they only do, like, five a year. Mm. I think they run, like, they handle that, too. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, they did say they did like a lot of stuff in the area too. <clears throat> it seems like it's a big company that handles all of the. Yeah. Would you call it Ghost Tours USA? Uh, Ghost Hunt. Ghost. Okay. Ghost Hunt USA. Yeah. If I see the website, I'm gonna know. So. That's it for my notes. Um, oh. <laughs> we're going to story time now. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it took like. Yeah, because they do the the Conjuring House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unique places. Oh, psychic dinners. I would do that. That does sound pretty cool. Maybe mediums, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'd be like Houdini. <laughs> I would listen <laughs> if we could go someplace that there was an actual Houdini psychic situation i would be houdini in that situation i mean lift lift your pant legs up real quick i'm gonna see how's your knees feeling okay good okay no we would enjoy the moment what you got your sleeves yeah okay of course of course tell you things about yourself that only you know (laughs) yeah okay sure they would anyway (gasps) how dare you what i said how dare you (laughs) story time yes so yeah, we got on the road at like whatever time, six or I don't know. We got we got up here eight o'clock. When we went up there, there were like you know a few cars in the parking lot. Um, 
And this is Altoona, of course. I'm just like, mm, watch me be the only black guy up in here. I like only black guy in a ghost hunt. It's terrible. But I wasn't. There was one one other black guy there. There you so, go. Yay. Community. <laughs> I was like, okay, got a brother here. You, you know what shit, ha- cop, you know, when shit happens, we got to bounce. be the first one to die, not <laughs> yeah. you. That's wrong. That was really awful to say. <laughs> We've gotten better with movies. Yes, this is true. Um, So, you know, we go up there, we check in, they give us a wristbands, and then... So, the air, like, the area when you're driving in there, mm-hmm. it's just, you can tell it's being, like, overrun by nature now. Okay. So everything's like. Sometimes that's beautiful to look at. Though. Yeah, it it was pretty awesome, especially when the sun was going down. I mean, you know, sun was setting, and then the moon was coming up, and you're just like, oh, this looks so fucking like scary and creepy at night. But oh my god, it looks so fantastic. And it was a full moon that night. Oh. And the moon was freaking red. So oh, it was the red moon. <laughs> it was. I, I think it was just because the sun was setting, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it was reddish. I forget those but, happen a couple times a year. Yeah. So. Um. So yeah, they they tell us you know to go wait up at the, you know, the one building, um, walk past this creepy ass tree, um, and then you know we see the grounds. You, you can see all the barbed wire and stuff. Right, because um, it was a prison. Yep. No. Yep. So on the grounds they have. You know the prison, so they have the prison. They have the, the cell, the, the the blocks, whatever you want to call them, the cell blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the chapel. They still had like uh, one of those mental wards as well. Okay. Um, and they had the house that I guess where they were doing like the, the tuberculosis stuff was. Okay, well. so they still had some of the old buildings. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Like basically, it's all the same from when it was when it was. So we get there and we're waiting for these people to come up. You know, the ghost hunters and stuff. You know, they they say they have equipment for us to use at when it's our free time to wander around. And okay, so you do like a proper tour and then you get to then we wander around afterwards. Oh, yeah, I know. They right? never let you wander <clears throat> around at those places. It was like there are only a few buildings we can go into. Like that, they had access to, but yeah, I got to wander around a lot. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so we're waiting, right? And there are a lot of groups up there. You could tell these people have been to ghost hunts before, and they start talking about freaking ghost adventures and talking about fucking Zach Baggins, Baggins. And I'm just like, I'm just like shaking my head and Terrence just looking. I can't at- wait until one day, like we're someplace where Zach Baggins is. And I can be like, yeah, there's a guy you hate. And I just look over and I'm like, mm, this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, I'm over there. I'm just shaking my head and Terry's just looking at me and she's just laughing. I'm like, you know how I fucking feel. You have publicly <laughs> discussed this on this podcast, how much you do not like his style of investigation. Oh my God. A lot of people don't though, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, especially in the beginning of their career, the... Well, you know, he learned his lesson. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> they well, don't really scream at ghosts and things anymore. I know. But 
so you know like i said these people up here they they've been on ghost hunts before they have their, someone had an ovulus um they have their little their, their their headlamps and stuff i just had my little flashlight in my hand you know because it's dark and they, there's no electricity up there right and they only have one generator running and that's and it's a different kind of dark yep it's advanced darkness <laughs> It's just a, that's all I can say. It's a different kind of dark. Mm. Especially in the buildings. Oh, my God. It's a different kind of dark it's when you terrible. are in a build. Like, can you imagine walking through my hallway if the power went out? No. There's no. There are no inner windows yeah. anywhere inside of this exactly. building. All of the windows are inside people's apartments. In situations when the power's been out here, I've either been downstairs and stayed down there mm. until it was over, or I've been up here and I just stayed here because at least I have the light from facing the water. Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> Creepy. But yeah, the, the inner hallway's blackness. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, these people are, you know, they're discussing, blah, blah, blah. They have their stuff. They're ready. They're like, oh yeah, we're prepared for ghost hunting. Let's go. And me and this here. I Google how much an ovulus costs. It's a lot. I, I've Googled it too. I really want one. Um, and me just with my flashlight <laughs> and my notepad. I'm a Patreon. Help Brian buy an ovulus. <laughs> Please. And, and finally, you know, it's ready to start. And there are. One, two, three, three people leading us. So we eventually split off, split off in these three groups. But first, we go to this uh, cell block. Okay. I forget which one it was. I know it wasn't F, or, or maybe it was F. I'm not sure. F or J. Anyway, we go into cell block, all of us, and they do this kind of, um, what would you call it? I think it's like a. Like me, the ghost expert. <laughs> uh, were we? It's like a summoning type of thing. Oh, okay. you, it's a, it's it's a community. Stuff, yeah, yeah, basically. So we go to the cell block. They're talking about everything. I have this all recorded on my phone. Um, and they're like, okay, well, first, what we're going to do is we're going to wake up our spirit friends and maybe they'll want to talk to us tonight. So they're like, Pick a cell. Yeah. Pick a cell that calls out to you and go to it. And I'm like, all right, bet. I was looking and I was like, this one. And I like jet it and I jet it towards it. And I may or may not have left Tara behind (laughs) (laughs) to find her own cell because I was like, she's like, why the fuck did you leave me? I'm like, yo, he said pick a cell. So I went. And I got one that called to me, and I was like, this is the one we're standing in front of. So, some people, they stood in front of their cells. Some people, they sat in front of them. Some people, they sat in them. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stood in front of mine. I was facing it. Some people had their backs to it. I was like, no, nah, I want to see if something's in there. Okay. So, you know, they start playing the song to wake the spirits up. Um. And then, you know, they start talking to them and they're just like, hey, remember us from earlier, but I mean, from the other day, we got some new friends here. How about, you know, you guys show them if you're here or not. And it's quiet. It's quiet. And they're like, you know, if, if you want to, like, communicate with us, just make a noise, like, knock or something. And Normal. 
off in the corner, you'd hear some type of little... Tip taps? Yeah, some tapping. And... Like, as I was staring in the cell, Mm -hmm. when this music was playing, it was just all fucking quiet. Just music playing in this dark-ass cell. Because we didn't have our flashlights on. We had to turn them all off. Right. And I'm just looking, and I'm just like, everything's just fucking, like squiggling moving around like you think you see something out the corner uh, of your the eye but you're just, yeah exactly but after this is done um you know he starts calling out and then tara's like because she's like right in front of me she's like i don't leave me to fuck alone here Aww. i'm scared and i was like you're the one who picked this damn it and she's like i feel a cold spot right here like Ooh. starts getting freaked out and i was like okay and like she's like fill it right here and i was like oh yeah that's pretty cold and so she's like she tells the guy she's like i feel a cold spot right here and she you know like you know blah blah blah. and then they're asking spirit and they're like the spirits does does she remind you of somebody if she reminds you of somebody like a noise and you know there's a noise and they're like is this someone who you've harmed or killed and you know another noise and um they're like do you feel any regret from killing that person silence yep (laughs) and then she starts getting freaked out um at this time i am feeling a pressure on my neck fun like i can barely breathe and i'm just like oh what the fuck is going on And I guess they, they mentioned that in a previous session, a previous mm-hmm. tour, that they had another girl who was being choked as well. Oh. And I was like, oh, this is lovely. And apparently, everybody was hearing water. I couldn't hear water. It wasn't raining that night. And there's been no water in the building for years. But okay. I guess if it's quiet enough, you'll hear water dripping. Drip drop. Drip drop. Or water like flowing something like that yeah it's weird so they split us up into our three groups um we went to another cell block and this one like as soon as you walked into it you could just feel the energy okay um and it was terrible and that one it's funny because the one cell block the one side of it you turn your flashlight on, you look up, oh, look at that. It's a sheet in the shape of a noose. Still hanging there. Okay. Off the railings. Awesome. Fantastic. So our guide, he told us, he's like, hey, just walk around here. And, like, walk around the whole, down to, you know, the building. And just see if you can get, like, a where it feels the strongest to you at. Or okay. what feeling you get from where you're at. <clears throat> so I'm like, okay. So we walk around this one part, and I'm like, eh, I feel something, but not really. Go to the next part. And I'm like, as soon as I walk in there, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> it's like I hit in the chest. Mm. And I was like, the only place I felt that was like at the, like they had stairs, you know, going up to the other cells. And I was like, something fucking happened on these stairs, like by these stairs. And so he, you know, brings us back, and he's like, okay, so. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you guys these EVPs. Um, just you know, wander around where you wherever you felt the most energy, and 
act. You know, tell me what you found or tell me what you found. So I go back over to the stairs, of mm-hmm. course, and you know I start asking spirits. I'm like, spirits, if something happened by these stairs, you know, move my move my dot reader over to the, like the yellow or something like that or make a noise and nothing really happened but there's another guy in a room and mm-hmm. he was on the other side of the cells a cell block whatever mm-hmm. and he he just was like whoa and i'm like what what happened buddy and he's like did you do something like did y'all do something over there would you say something i'm like i just asked if something happened by the stairs and he's like, well, I guess after you said that, there was a noise over here. And mm-hmm. I, I I heard something. And I was like, oh, mm. some cool shit. So I took some pictures of him at the top of the stairs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if anything pops up, I will find it. Apparently, there's some good uh, spirit photography. A lot of people got uh, some orbs. Okay. Um, flowing towards people. It, um, I think some lady got a picture of... So... This is what she says, that she had her flash on her camera, right? And she took a picture of this guy, but when the picture the picture preview come up, comes up, and it's all black. Mm. So, spooky. <clears throat> Next. The orb thing is rough. Yeah, 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 because it might be dust. Because of the dust, yeah. yeah. That's one of the ones that... Doesn't have as much as far as, you know, doesn't have as many legs. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not really an orb guy anyway. It has to be something very distinctive. Like if you take a picture and they're all the same Mm -hmm. size, that's bugs. That's, you know, dust, things like that. But, you know, there are times where people take a picture and there's a whole mist and yes. I'm like, well, that yeah, is something. not a that's not a bug. <laughs> that is something. Um, so next, they took us to like the medical ward, the okay. medical medical block, um, where they kept the the psychiatric. Oh, okay, patients. psych patients. Okay. Yep. Um. So they took us to their little, I guess, their, what do you what their, their yard. Oh, right, right. Where, you know, they go out to exercise mm-hmm. and stuff. They are so small. Like, they're, like, this Have size... you ever been inside Eastern State? No, I have not. We That would be one to, they were, in the beginning of Eastern State, they were on this vibe of constant isolation, mm. and the only thing you were allowed to read was the Bible, and the goal was that you were going to, like, get penance, hence the term penitentiary came from that. Right. Um, so it was a, a small room, you're by yourself, and then they had a small exercise room out behind that room. Mm. Eventually they had to abolish this method entirely because right. one, it's inhumane, and two, it was too big of a freaking building to only put one person per cell. Yes. But uh it's real bad to put people by themselves for a long amount like so but even like that all isolation. those little tiny like punishment like not punishment chambers, but the those little whole. isolation chambers are like, Oh, you get your exercise. I mean, I guess so. You're also in a closet. Look, do you see it's yours? Awful. Yeah, that's what this that's yeah. the size of it. That was the size of it. And I, I like, can't Whoa. imagine living just living like that. No, crazy. Um, so you know, we check out the yard, then we come back in, we go check out the cells, and you know, it does the same thing, tells us to stand in front of a cell. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. There was 
there was a prison prisoner's uniform on one of the beds okay. in the cell. That was only one I've seen. Um, I guess they just laid it out there. They found it there. Whatever. I don't care. Um, well, a lot of times when these buildings get abandoned, they just leave all the stuff. Yeah. They leave records. They leave everything. Yeah. So it very well could have been one of the items that was found in the building when the people bought it. This is true. Because um, it was nice. It was like... Had, like I had him up and leave. Like I yeah. have had friends go visit like old facilities in Pennsylvania, and they just take pictures of boxes of documents that just were they didn't even they didn't care they didn't do anything to them. They, no, they just left them there. They went up. Oh, the hospital went bankrupt. We're just gonna leave everything here. So it's yeah. it's thoroughly plausible when they ex axed out of the prison yeah any records they didn't need to take with them that's true any stuff they didn't need to take with them they left it yeah All so right. very i mean it could have been a plant but it also could have been just stuff that they randomly found in the building. i'm pretty sure yeah that's what it was but anyway okay so this is one of two of the creepiest places that we were at okay there. so we go there he does the same thing he calls out to his spirits blah, blah blah he has his he has his phantom box okay. um you know, it's it's like an obvious but it's not an obvious. Okay. Um, a spirit box, I guess you want to call it. Um, and well, the obvious is the one that you get the words randomly. Yeah. Is this the one that reads the radio sweepings? Because that's a different box. No, it's something. It was like an echoey thing. Oh yes, I've seen those. Okay, so you get what I'm, yeah. It, it it you just you hear random words on it, yes. but it also come. It almost sounds like it's going through a, a weird filter. Yes, that yes, thing. Yes, yes. Okay, I don't know. I have, okay, I've seen people use those. Yes, yeah, so you, you have the one that sweeps the radio stations mm -hmm. and can pull entire phrases out of random bits of sound. Yeah. You have the ovulus, which pulls random words from a database on the device, mm -hmm. and then that one, it just it's real creepy. Yeah, that one, the one that he used, yeah, it was fucking creepy. I was like, oh my god, I hear voices talking, what the hell is going on? So, before he uses this thing, he, you know, he, he tells us to ask the spirits questions. You know, introduce ourselves to the spirits, and then ask them a question. So, gets down to Tara, and she's like, are you sad? And if you're sad, make a noise. And, you know, they make a noise. <clears throat> it gets to me. I'm like, you know, what's up, spirits? <laughs> what's up, demons? It's your boy. <laughs> yep. I. Uh, this is why. I said, uh, <laughs> what's up, demons? It's your boy. I said it twice that night, and I was not apologizing for it. Oh my god. But um, yeah, I was like, what's up, demons? My name's Brian. Blah blah. blah. Um. So if you guys wanted to want us to leave, can you make a noise and you hear just this loud bang? And it was like, okay, I guess it's time to go. And <laughs> so when we go into this place, this guy he asked for a volunteer. Mm -hmm. A female volunteer. Okay. Um Oh goodness. The reason why is one of the spirits in here, he likes women a of lot. Course. So you know, he you know, he, he he told her this, you know, this guy, you know, the spirit, I guess his name was Will. Um, okay. He liked women. So she volunteers. She stands in front of his cell, blah, blah, blah. And people I mean, me too, Will, but. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the spirit, the people at the top above us, they're looking down at her because she was standing in front of his cell. They're like trying to keep an eye on her and, you know, taking pictures of flashing. And they're like, the one girl above us, she was like, I just saw an orb fly right next to you or right behind, right into like through you. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Right by you. Like they're, they're talking to the girl that was in this guy that likes women's cell. Okay. And she's just like, she starts getting freaked out. Um, and he brings out the fandom box, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, you hear voices. This guy is cussing on there. He's talking to her. And he's saying, you know, all B words this and stuff like that. And she's kind of like pushing back and challenging him. Okay. And I'm just like, please, can you not? Can you not talk to the guy? <laughs> and just oh, I wouldn't there. talk to the guy. <laughs> you would have? Absolutely. You would have like pushed back. <sighs> I would have had a Zach Bagans moment. <laughs> who you who you calling bitch, bitch? Yeah, yeah. And he was telling like he was telling her like to give up like with the fighting and stuff like that. And she was like, "No, I'm not going to give up. I'm not doing it." And I'm just like, "Oh my fucking god!" <laughs> you please just go. So he sent her outside, and a couple times throughout the night, um, a couple of the people got sick there, and you know, just the feelings. <clears throat> But she comes, you know, she goes outside, she comes back in, and she's calmed down now. And she's like, can I just say something to him? And she says, like, this whole little speech to him, and I'm just like, oh, my God. Okay, we're, we're doing this today. <laughs> so, <clears throat> that was just, like, a creepy moment because, you know, you could hear, like, the spirit, like, coming at her. And then her just fighting back against it. And then you hear the knocking of them just not wanting us to be in there. So, you know, one more place, mm-hmm. and that's the chapel. Oh. So, the chapel was where you heard that EVP. Okay. Um. So you'll probably just have to import it I, into the audio. I'll put it at the. I'll probably do like the end of the episode and just put it like after everything is done playing, and then that will play. So be prepared for that. I'm sorry, guys. Be creeped out. Get those chills ready. Um, goosebumps. So, there's supposed to be a little boy in this chapel. Okay. Um, and the, the equipment they used in here was like a music box sensor thing. So, like, if a spirit. Right. Yeah. Just like the little stuffy animal people used to. Sometimes yep. the kids. Yep. So, they had the, the musical box and then they had um, a light on there. And then they had like a mag light that was, I guess, if you twist it enough. Like if flickers, right? The idea is that you put it right on the edge. Yep. And that if something else touches it, it can turn the light off or on. Yep. Yep. That thing. There you that go. That was the one where when they were in the Sally house, Ryan Bergara screamed his mind. That was the first major <laughs> like ghost hunt they really did. He freaked out in the Sally house. Yes. God. They they stayed the night there, and he stayed up the whole night and kept, I believe, uh, Shane awake. Because he was nervous and was talking. I just remember when they were in the kitchen, the light kept going. Like, whenever they asked the questions, it would go off. It responded to what they were doing, and he lost his mind. He was so scared. Yeah, that's what this light was doing. He got better over the years, but (laughs) that first one, that was rough. That's what this light was doing, too. It was going off and on with her questions, Mm -hmm. uh, and the music box would just, you know, play randomly sometimes. And I was just like, oh, okay, I guess there's something in here that likes the music box. 
<clears throat> so she, you know, she gets us to start asking it questions again and like and stuff like that. I mean, it's a chapel; you can't really like get it to knock and stuff, but you can get it to like turn the mag light off and on. So we we're doing that, and they had like another volunteer. Some girl was on the stage for some reason. I didn't really get the idea about that, uh, what they were doing up there, but whatever. Um, there was also piano in there and, you know, the woman would play music for the, the kid and she was like, oh, do you like my music? And the light would go, and she's like, if you like my music, turn the light off and the light would stay on. And she's like, if you don't like my music, turn the light off and it turned off. <laughs> you should pay some gospel. <laughs> she really should have. Um, so... There are there were how many guys? I think four guys, including myself. There's the other black guy. Mm-hmm. His voice is a lot deeper than mine. Okay, like my God, <laughs> so much deeper than mine. And <clears throat> there are two guys in the back behind us. And she's like, "Okay, well, I'm going to do an EVP now." Mm-hmm. Or that's what, yeah, yeah, and, electronic voice phenomena. Yeah. And we're going to see if we can get this spirit to talk. Because later on, we found out it wasn't the little child. It was actually somebody that wasn't a kid. Uh-huh. Um, so she goes and she's like, spirits, if you're here with us, can you please finish this you know, sentence for me? Right. And she does the prayer. Yep. And then... When she, you know, she pauses for the spirit to answer, uh-huh. you hear them finish the prayer. You said you heard it in your ear. I heard it in my ear. In my ear hole. Everybody heard it. Somebody finished their prayer. And she's like, because uh, she, she, she stops the recorder. She's like, uh, well, I guess I got to delete this. But which one of you guys said that? And she was like. Wait, one of you guys did say that, right? And nobody was saying anything. Nobody fessed up to it or nothing. And I'm just like, you know, I thought it was the guy, behind, like one of the guys behind me. Well, there were only four, and it was definitely yeah. a male voice. Exactly. And I'm just like, okay, so it wasn't the guy across from me because he has a deep ass voice. It mm-hmm. definitely wasn't his. And I know it didn't sound like me. It was, de- I know it, well, it wasn't me because I didn't say shit. It was a whisper. It was. And. Everybody heard it, and we were just throwing accusations everywhere. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there, I'm just like, it wasn't me. <laughs> and she's like, oh my fucking god. So <laughs> that was the leader, she was like, one, yeah, one of the, the tour group the people, tour guide lady. <clears throat> yes. Oh, wow. And they're everybody just freaking out because we got this nice, EV, nice, clear EVP and disembodied voice on a recording. So, I'm just like, okay, you got to send me that EVP. Like, I, I need that for for things and stuff. Now, here's the thing. Yes. You heard it when it happened. hmm And it was also on the recorder. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, I'll play that. Like, I'll put it on after at the end of the episode if you guys want to hear it. There you go. Um... But yeah, after that, we got to just do a little wandering around by ourselves. 
Um, we didn't get to go. Well, I I went into the end of life, uh, where you know where they held them for you know. Death. You mean when they got executed? No, not the ex. No, I guess it's the end of end of life housing or something like that. Like they're close to death. I think it's what it's called. I had to look it up again. But I went there by myself. Um, you know, searching around. It was very eerie. Um, uh, my, my 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 little meter thing that they gave us to borrow was going here and there everywhere it's really creepy like turn my lights off for like my flashlight off for like a minute Mm -hmm. and it was just dark as hell and i was that's where i was like oh this is advanced darkness like it was no uh, no windows on the inside like you were saying well see when you're out in the woods and it's dark you get moonlight yeah you get a weird your your eyes adjust to taking in whatever light is there when you are inside a building with no windows and it is completely dark, there is no light. Yep. You can't adjust. No, it's just black. Yep. And let's see, I went up upstairs and someone was doing like the little ovulus. They had one ovulus in this room and then at the end of the hall, I couldn't go back there because they were doing some type of ghost. Of, they were doing their own little ghost adventure thing in there. And I was just like, Okay, I'm just gonna go back downstairs. Um, so I go to leave. There's a there's a room with like a file filing cabinet and something in there, like with other like okay, just like I guess uh office. And I go in there. I'm just like I hear a buzzing. Okay. Like flies. Oh. And I was like, I I don't see any flies. Where where the flies at? <laughs> so I was like, okay, well I'm done here too. Let's go home. <laughs> Oh my god. But yeah, it was a it was a fun experience. I did like it. You ready to do more? Yeah, definitely. 100%. Because, like, it was my first ghost hunt. My first ever ghost hunt. And I was just like, I was kind of blown away. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's an experience. And I was... Well, now what we gotta do is we gotta get the black light, like the, the camera mm-hmm. on night vision. Yes, yes, yes. We got to record it. Get the heat signatures. Then we get a TV show on the Travel Channel. <laughs> and this is great because I can do all the research into the property. Oh, my God. I'm so good at researching. <laughs> oh. When killers get ghost hunted. We call it something different. Fam. Yes, I know. We would still do the podcast when killers get caught. <laughs> ghost and hunting. And then... Well, see, there's already a group of three guys who ghost hunt, and they're ghost brothers. So now we've got to come up with a cool name because it's black people. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't going in there. <laughs> Yo, they they have done. They get the most interesting responses mm. when they have gone to uh, plantations. Of course, they're like, "Get the fuck out of here!" No, <laughs> like, run, bro. People run. Who actually talk, like, do stuff. Oh, hmm. The funniest one that was when they were in that one plantation in Jamaica. Forget what that place is called. That's real bad down there. And uh, they had the one guy go in without a shirt on because apparently the white woman who owned the place had a thing. Oh, my God. It was it was it was a lot. 
It was funny. Oh, my God. Because the other guy was like, well, I'm married, so I'm not seducing the white ghost lady. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun times, fun times. Was it very expensive? It was... It was pricey. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't, I don't know how ghost, ghost tours run, but it was well, like I remember that the the one for at her Bowmaster's house is like ninety dollars a person. Oh, this was more. Okay, this was like one seventy. Well, they it looks like they also gave you all the supplies and stuff. This is there. true. They, yeah, we got to rent the ghost equipment. So maybe if you brought your own equipment, it would have been cheaper. Uh, probably. But yeah, it, I mean. I think it was worth the cost because, you know, it's a nice, it's a great experience. I did like it. Mm-hmm. And even though she was scared the whole fucking time, Tara was, she liked it too. Um, it's got to be scary. Oh, yeah. Def- I mean, yeah. I mean, just besides the fact that I got kind of choked a little bit and <clears throat> my arm got grabbed a little bit and then her arms were getting grabbed too. And this was all in the beginning too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, it was okay. It was okay. I liked it. I could, I would do it again. So yeah, if you guys want to, I guess look into the company. It's called Ghost Hunts USA. There you go. Com. Check them out. They do a lot of tours around, I guess, the country because it's all USA. Around, all around the country. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Oh my god, we talked so. <laughs> we did. Much. This is the longest one we've done so far. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Oh my god. All right, but yeah, thanks for listening guys. Um we do appreciate it. I I appreciate your your feedbacks and whatever. And hey, if you like the podcast, leave us a rating. Leave us leave us a five-star review. Any other reviews I don't read. Um <laughs> Oh, be nice to us cuz some of you all are not nice to Brian. I don't really care. I know he says a lot of ums and us and sometimes I forget and mess up too. Doesn't mean he's not prepared. It's just that he's a little awkward a little (laughs) (laughs) i'm a lot awkward all right well thank you so much for listening yep bye bye Father, who art in heaven,